It's Halloween season here on Kicking Out of Two this week as we present to you WCW Halloween Havoc 1989 in watch party form. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth, and joining me is the individual who chose this Halloween Havoc for us to watch, my good buddy, Dennis J. Levy. What's happening, man? Always a pleasure, uh, Dave. Uh, that um, um, So Halloween Havoc is not one of my favorite pay-per-views of all time, but, but this particular one, though, I do do really enjoy it. So, so I'm looking forward to this. Uh, watch along for sure. I'm looking forward to this as well. This is the first time I will have watched this show in probably over 30 years. Uh, the last time I watched this show in full um, from start to finish was when I rented this on VHS at Blockbuster when it came out. Uh, at my grandparents' house. So uh, this is going to be a lot of fun um, as we creep towards Halloween season. Um Last week we talked about masks, yeah, that's um, a good show, yeah, which was a lot of fun, and we're going to continue with the Halloween theme. And I, I said to you, choose a Halloween havoc, and this was one of them, and one of the choices that you had. And I thought this one. Is- Before we start, I want the kicking kicking at it too, uh, listening audience have an opinion too. That uh, I think the best three. I was torn, ladies and gentlemen, of of eighty nine, ninety six, and ninety eight. That, that, that uh, I like whoever was listening go go and kick it out to whatever Facebook or whatever uh, that that uh, and, and tell us what what was your favorite uh, that that Halloween havoc like in my opinion if I had to do one of the worst recurring pay per views Halloween havoc is probably number one really uh, I absolutely would think that that, that however. There are some good ones as well, and I think the uh, the, the, the three, three I, that you chose, yeah, two out of the three I think are really good. The '98 version, I think, had potential to be good, but there was obviously issues with um, the card was way overbooked. Okay, I remember watching that pay per view particularly as a kid. As a, as a teenager with some friends at a friend's house, and there was about like six or seven matches that were unadvertised, that were like bonus matches. It was like a four hour nitro. And so, I when that that Halloween Havoc is most known for when the pay per view satellite feed cut out in the middle of the Hogan Warrior match, which was probably a blessing. But the rest of the uh, show you weren't able to watch, which was the DDP Goldberg main event. That, that's so good. They gave that main event for free on Nitro the next night. So you missed that match? Yeah. That's crazy. So like in the middle, I watched it at a friend's house in the middle of Hogan and Warrior. Um, the feed cut out, and it and it just went to the pay per view menu option, and it said coming up next WCW Halloween Havoc replay. Did you get a, re- uh, a refund? My friend, my friend's parents got a refund. Um, they yeah, they lost millions of dollars. The story was on, and Eric Bischoff has illustrated this on his podcast 83 weeks was that the people in management that were in charge of contacting the um, the pay-per-view and satellite providers. Usually, if you ne- you you pay for a certain window of time to air your show, uh, if you want to ask for extra time, normally it's given to you without question. Um, and they didn't ask for extra time, and they thought that they could book you know 14 or 15 matches under three hours, and it didn't work out that way. And that's why the the feed got cut, and they lost millions of dollars. They had to. Um, they, they had to refund lots of people or give people the replay for free. Uh, cable companies ate, ate a lot of that as well. So it was a, it was a catastrophe. But, um, you know, on paper, when you, when, you, when you take away about six or seven of those unadvertised matches and you look at that card and you're like, 
that's not a bad card. That'd be a pretty good Halloween Havoc. Um, maybe we'll watch that one in a couple of weeks. Who knows? Um, but yeah, that's that. 96 is a really good show. That was like in the early days of the NWO, and they were just really starting to gain momentum. Um, and this show, like I said, it'll be 30 years since I watched it. It's one of your favorites, so we're going to watch it today. Um, head on over to WWE Network right now and uh, log in. Hopefully you're already logged in. Go to the in-ring section on the left-hand side. You click that. Once you get there, you scroll down, you click WCW. Then you're going to click on the WCW pay-per-view icon and you can either search by the, the name of the pay-per-view, which is Halloween Havoc, or you can search the year, 1989, the date, October the 28th, 1989. This pay-per-view runs 2 hours, 49 minutes, and 56 seconds. So we're going to be in for a we're going to be in for a treat, Dennis. Um and uh, when I say play, you're going to hit play, and uh, we'll, 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 we'll make it happen. It will be a Halloween Havoc watch party. 1989 Halloween Havoc watch party, if you will. So uh, while everyone is doing that, hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. If you feel like Dennis's three choices for Halloween Havoc, uh, you know, his favorite Halloween Havocs are, are just due, then uh, give us a thumbs up. If you feel like there's a better Halloween Havoc pay-per-view, then by all means, let us know. Tell us why. Um, Facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two as well as our twitter at kicking out two k-i-c-k-n-o-u-t and the number two if you're looking for some halloween havoc nostalgia last year on kicking out of two i traded places with halloween havoc 1994 flipped the results of each match on that card and uh mapped out the trajectories of the winners and losers you can find that in the archives at the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network by searching Retromania with a W. Find us on Speaker, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, you name it. You can find all the great shows from Retromania that include Kicking Out It Too. Uh, we also did a watch party of Halloween Havoc 1997 last year with my buddy Chris Donovan. That was a lot of fun. You can check that out in the archives, Retromania, uh, over at Podbean. And uh, hopefully by now, all of you have uh, been queued up and ready to go. Um, from time to time, I might flip the audio on, so I'll let you know on my end. Um, I'll track it for you. Uh, but for the most part, you're going to hear the running commentary between one Dennis J. Levy and myself for the dur duration of this two hours, 49 minutes, and 56 seconds. So without further ado, in five, four, three, two, one, hit play. We open here. With a Halloween spooky <laughs> spectacular. It's so cheesy. It was so yeah, awesome. the, the graphics back then were were pretty cheesy. You see the the tombstones there with Muda and Sting and Flair and Funk. That's the main event in the Thunderdome cage: Flair and Sting versus the Great Muda and Terry Funk with Bruno San Martino as the guest referee. And uh, we're in the Philadelphia. Um, I think it was the Philadelphia Auditorium. Um, it's not the Spectrum where the Flyers used to play, um, but uh, it's where uh, NWA used to hold a lot of their shows. Um, WWF used to run the Spectrum, and NWA used to run the uh, the Philadelphia. I think it's the Philadelphia Civic Center. Look at all the empty yeah, seats I'm up there. The same thing. Holy shit! Wow. But it's definitely I, I know when, when they went up more north that they, they, they did pretty good like in Philadelphia and whatever but but yeah that, that, this wasn't their territory that, 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 so it's ambitious but as you can see the empty seats and whatnot yeah I mean and their production quality too usually you know 
if there's empty seats in an arena, especially with WWE um, before the pandemic, yeah, no, no, uh, yeah. you, they would they would at least like dim the lights and you know find a way to make it look like you know the building's full. Um, WCW made no attempt here and uh, in, in do in doing any of that, and this was this was a year removed from the um, from the uh, the purchase from Crockett. Crockett sold it to Turner. Um, as we see, Jim Ross and Bob Cottle uh, would be the ones calling the action for this event. Um, you would think that with the money that they had behind behind them with Turner, that they would. Uh, they you know would, I don't like. They would get this. Uh, they would get the production issue with the seats fixed. Go ahead. Yeah, you were talking about production and whatnot. That, that so we got a Halloween theme, right? Yep. That does. Uh, why are they wearing tuxedos? Do you think they'd be wearing, like, you know... Costumes or yeah, something, exactly. like dressing up? Yeah. I'm not talking about you have to be, like, Dracula or an alien or something. But you can wear, like, these raggedy clothes and... Yeah, I, I, I get the vibe. I think that'd be kind of cool. If you watch, um... Um... The 1990 version of Halloween Havoc. Have you ever seen that one? It was main invented by Sting and Sid for the title. I don't know if I have. Okay. I'm a, I Maybe we'll watch that again. Yeah. Maybe we'll watch that. That's uh, an, an underrated uh, show. But anyhow, nonetheless, um, they had the announcers dressed up. Tony Schiavone was the Phantom of the Opera. And I think, like, uh, JR was like a mobster. And, and Paulie Dangerously was on commentary. I think he did, like, a Dracula kind of thing. So they, they, they got the announcers, like, into it and dressed up here. So you see the opening match. Tom Zink. The Z-Man Man. going one-on-one with Mike Rotundo from the Varsity Club, the father of current WWE superstar, The Fiend, Bray Wyatt. Yeah, as mentioned before, Fiend's my favorite current wrestler. Yep. Then, uh, did they ever put the title on Z-Man? I, I, I think Z-Man has he was so a, much potential. He, You know what? He's... He's a... a I believe he was a United States Tag Team Champion with, with Brian Pillman, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but he, I don't think he had a singles run um, with the championship. I could be mistaken. I could probably look that up for you. Um, but you're right. He did have a lot of potential. I thought he was... I, I was going to say phenomenal. That's bad terminology. But I thought he was a really good wrestler. He, You know, he flew around. He had a good look. Um, I liked the tag team with him and Brian Pillman. I thought they were, a, a, like, a, at the time, they were, like, a, a modern-day version of, like, you know, a high-flying tag team like Rock and Roll Express or the Rockers. Um, I like their. I, I liked them as a team. They had some pretty good matches with, like, the Midnight Express and the Freebirds and, and, uh, and, and teams like that. Um I know that in in later years in WCW, Z-Man would compete in the light heavyweight division, and he would feud with Brian Pillman for the light heavyweight title. Um, But I don't think they really pulled the trigger on him, per se, uh, when it came to the... um, the, uh, It's too bad, because he could have had, in my opinion, a big babyface push. Well, he he thought very highly of himself. I know for a fact that... uh, um, he had left the WWF. He was a part of the Can-Am connection with Rick Martel. Uh, they were in the opening match of WrestleMania three, um, and so uh, after that WrestleMania, why you say that? He I think looks like Rick Martel. Yeah, he 
You know, yeah, I think that was like the old Can-Am Connection kind of wrestling gear that he's wearing right there. Um, he was a member. He was a part of the AWA for a while. He wrestled in Mid-South Wrestling uh, in 1984. Um, and then later in 84, he joined the AWA. Uh, he was an undercard wrestler there. Um, in 85, he joined uh, Pacific Northwest Wrestling in Portland, Oregon, where he received a push. And then uh, in December of 85, he and Scott Doring won the NWA Pacific Northwest Tag Team Championship. They lost those titles to Bobby Jaggers and Rip Oliver the following month. Uh, then he won the Pacific Northwest Heavyweight Championship from Jaggers later that month. And he held it until March of 86. Um... Between 85 of May of 85 and October of 86, he wrestled intermittently with the Quebec-based Lut International promotion in Canada, uh, where he won the International Tag Team Championship with Dan Crawford. Um, he wrestled a little bit in All, Jap All Japan Pro Wrestling in a tag team with Rick Martel. Um, and then he was in the WWF from 86 to 87 uh, as the Can-Am Connection. Um, he actually, his reason for leaving the WWF was due to a pay dispute. He had, he was upset over a money issue and left. And then that's how, um, that's how Tito Santana fit into the picture. And that's how they formed strike force. Tito just kind of like was slotted in there with Martel. Um, but originally Zinc was part of that package and him and Martel were going to be tag team champions, but he had some sort of issue with, uh, with his pay. And so he left the WWF. Um, he'd wrestle in all Japan for a few years. Uh, and then for the AWA, um, in 88 and 89. Um, and then he would go to, he would go to, uh, WCW here in 1989. Um, he debuted at the Clash of Champions 8 in September of 1989 under the ring name The Z-Man, defeating the Cuban Assassin. Um, had tag team title run with uh, Brian Pillman as the United States Tag Team Champion. Um, he feuded with Arn Anderson over the TV title for a little bit. Um, and then he was also a part of... Um, or no, wait a minute. No. Oh, you know what? In 91, he became the official world television champion under the banner of the NWA before the NWA and WCW had disbanded. And then he became the first WCW TV champion, um, defeating Arn Anderson. I apologize. So they did kind of pull the trigger on him. I forgot about that. Um, <clears throat> he would lose the title to Arn Anderson in January 7th of 1981. And then later that year, he would team with Dustin Rhodes and Big Josh, who would eventually become Doink the Clown, to feud with the York Foundation um, over the the WCW six-man tag team titles. Um, they would eventually win those titles from the Freebirds in August of 91, but then would later lose them to the York Foundation in October of that year. Um Yeah, and then he would his run with WCW would end in like early '93, um, or he would be released in May of '94. Excuse me, I apologize. He would go back to All Japan, um, and then his career ended in August of '96, wrestling for the American Wrestling Federation. 
So. And he died on December the 9th, 2017, um, from osteoclerosis and cardiomegalogy, um, in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. And I saw a picture of him right before he died. He looked nothing like this. Is that right? His health went to the shits, unfortunately. I'm trying to think. I recently saw um, something like that where a wrestler was like, um, before he passed, you just never know. Anyway. Never even knew what he looked like, yeah. yeah. It's really sad to see that. Oh, was it that picture I sent you and Justin in the text of Dr. Death Steve Williams? That's it. Yeah. I, I, I never saw that before either, and I was like, oh my God. You know why You know why I found You know where I found that? I found that on a, a wrestling page on social media. Um, I forget where, but... Um, the, the guy who, the admin of that page, he apparently is a listener of the uh, Grill and JR podcast. And that week, JR did, a, JR did a tribute show to Dr. Death and his friendship with Dr. Death. And even in the, even in the, um, even in the podcast, JR recalls when he went to Doc's funeral, how like he didn't even recognize him. Like, you know, hair gone on his face, you know, long black hair, facial hair gone, you know, just didn't look like his friend, you know, in that casket. It was wild. That must have been really sad. That's where, the, that's where that picture came. So then, like, someone who listened to it found the picture, posted it, and that's why I sent it to you guys. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, very sad. But, yeah, the picture of Zinc um, <clears throat> didn't look anything like him. It was, like, a picture of him sitting on his front step of his house with his dogs, and he had, like, a, like a baseball cap on, didn't have long hair, um, just didn't look... You know, like the Tom Zink that we're currently watching right now. Mike Rotundo. What do you think of Mike Rotundo and his his, his trajectory throughout his career? He had performed under various different personas. Yeah, and, and of course, IRS is my favorite. Yeah. But, uh, um, I didn't like his second run in WCW. Wall that, Street? Yeah, that was not a good yeah. thing. But, uh, he, he jumped the shark by, uh, by then, but, uh. But uh, that uh, but I love the IRS gimmick that uh, most people did, of course. Yep. That uh, and of course uh, him and the Million Dollar Corporation was was good too. Yep. Even the tag team with DiBiase. Yeah. Was some pretty good stuff in ninety late ninety two early ninety three. Yeah. Then, late uh, late ninety one, I should say. Cause yeah, him and DiBiase formed a team late ninety one. I want to say, going into ninety two. And they were originally managed by Sherry, which I didn't know. I knew that Sherry managed DiBiase, but I didn't know she managed them as a team briefly. I don't remember that at all either. It was right before they put her with Shawn Michaels, and then they had Jimmy Hart as their manager. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, Rotundo here. I like the Varsity Club gimmick. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, you know. Him and Kevin Sullivan and Dr. Death. And I think Rick Steiner was even a part of that group at one point, briefly, before they brought Scott in and made them a team. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I didn't care for the Wall Street. IRS, I probably liked the most, like you. Um, he did a good job of uh, of uh, portraying a tax man. Um, I thought that was kind of fun. But uh, a a solid in-ring performer, somebody that they knew they could rely on. Um, and, you know, wrestling, you know, 
before before you know his kids obviously you know Bray Wyatt Bo Dallas in the business I think they got a daughter too that's uh that's gotten herself involved in the business but um what's his name uh you know he's the brother-in-law of Barry Windham is that right he married Barry Windham's sister and so he he kind of added his wrestling lineage to the, uh, the 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 Mulligan family, you know, father-in-law, you know, late Blackjack Mulligan. Um, he was in the first WrestleMania with Barry Windham as a tag team, part of the U.S. Express, losing the titles to uh, Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. If you remember that, I do, yeah, yeah. And they were. And did you know, Dennis, that they? Mike Rotundo and Barry Windham as U.S. Express, they were the ones to use Real American, the theme song, first before Hulk Hogan. I did not know that. Yeah. They were the ones. Did were they the, use it at WrestleMania? Um, at that WrestleMania? I don't know. I don't think so. I know that if you watch the WrestleMania 1 version on the WWE Network, the um, Hogan comes out to Real American, but that was dubbed over because Hogan came out to Eye of the Tiger, uh, the Rocky song. Um, originally okay. on that show, so I'm I'm almost positive that you know what you might be right. I think they did come out to Real American on that show and they dubbed it over. I just no, I, I'm not I, I'm not saying that they did. I, no, I, you're I, just, oh, you're yeah, just asking. asking. Okay, yeah. I you know now that you bring it up, it kind of reminds me. Maybe they did. Who knows? That uh, and, and talking about tag teams too. Didn't did he? I. Only vaguely, vaguely remember this, but the name, uh, Beefcake, right? Who, IRS? Yeah. Did they, they have a little tag team? Name yeah. Admiral. Mm, that, that, uh, they wrestled Beefcake. Him and DiBiase wrestled Beefcake and Hogan at that WrestleMania. No, no, I'm not talking about WrestleMania. But didn't uh, Mike Rotunda and uh, Beefcake have a little Oh, you're thinking um, Greg Valentine. Am I? Okay. Yeah, I think you're thinking Greg Valentine. Dream Team? Maybe. Managed by uh, uh, Luscious Johnny Valiant? Maybe. Yeah. That was seven or eight years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I get it. We had a good, good little match we have in here. Yeah, this isn't bad. This yeah. isn't a bad little opener. Um, Rotundo. Yeah, Z-Man's bumping his ass off. I, it's funny. It just, just kind of came to me. Um, you, you, you want to see a good Mike Rotundo match? You go ahead and you watch the very first Clash of Champions, March of 88. Rotundo and Jimmy Garvin, gorgeous Jimmy Garvin for the TV title. Really fun match. Really good match. And I believe it was like they they tried to incorporate like amateur wrestling rules into the match. Um yeah, it was it was I think it was like a 10-minute time limit too. It was like a short quick but it was a really fun match. Um Dare I say, probably um, one of the best Mike Rotundo matches I've seen. One of the worst Mike Rotundo matches I've seen that I don't suggest you go watching is the match he had with the Iron Sheik at the Great American Bash in 1990. <laughs> That's Iron Sheik, though. Don't watch that match. <laughs> that was when that was when they were forced to use Iron Sheik because you ever hear this story? One, two, three. Nice roll up by yeah. Zink for the win. Tom Zink gets the win here over Mike Rotundo. Um, that was a good finish. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, that was kind of gross. That was yucky. Ugh. Yeah, you ain't gonna see any spitting or anything on the mat or on the ringside nowadays. No. Um. 
What I recently saw, it's like someone did spit water in someone's face. I'm like, I don't know. Oh, um... That happened recently. Well, when they did that stupid Triple H birthday thing, and... Oh, no, no, no they no, took no, the water yeah, away Yeah, no, no, him. no. Yeah. And recently, no, some... Anyway, the, that was actually a nice cross-body bike by Cortana, too. Yeah, that and was. the reversal one. That was. Look at a young Nick Patrick. Um... Yeah, Iron Sheik was a was under contract to WCW NWA. Oh, look at Bruno! Bruno with Chris Cruz. Did you hear? You might have told. You might have sent me the link to this story. Chris Cruz here, the announcer, was the guy that ratted out Kenny Omega and John Moxley for having the 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 non-sanctioned match with the with the barbed wire in AEW. And he 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 uh, routed them out to the Baltimore Athletic Commission. That is the first I the first I heard. You never of this. heard this? No. So Chris Cruz here, the ring announcer, or he's the backstage announcer. He worked for WCW. He was like a third string announcer. He used to do some of their syndicated shows with like Gordon Soley. Okay. Um, uh, and I believe he did some stuff with Dusty Rhodes too, like Power Hour and Pro and shit like that. And uh, Cruz um, saw the match. And he tweeted about it, and he voiced his displeasure over the overabundance of, like, weapons that they used. Which, by the way, like, I saw the match on paper. I like it. It was too much. Yeah. It was way too much for me. Like... The crawling on the fake glass. Like, like, you should have, like, at that point, like, I honestly felt like you should have just fucking... um, the, the finish should have happened like seven high spots ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it was just too much. Oh, look at this here. We got the Midnight Express. Speaking of Dr. Death, six-man tag here. We got the Midnight Express coming with Jim Cornette. This is the babyface version of the Midnight Express. Bobby Eaton, Stan Lane, along with Dr. Death, ready for action against... Look, look at this. You see the you see in the background? The heels are coming out already. Are they? I yeah. They haven't. They, the the way that they used to set it up, they'd have the guys like stand there, and then they would announce them. It wasn't like they would come out um, through the curtain after they were announced. They would like stand there. It was, was kind of silly, but anyhow. Um, long story short, Chris Cruz um, saw the match, and he said something about he kind of teased that he was going to rat them out. And nobody really thought that he would do it, and he ended up doing it. And he went to the Baltimore Athletic Commission, State Athletic Commission, and um, because Baltimore is known for uh, no blood, they're big on no blood. I don't know if you remember this, but there was a finish to Ric Flair and Lex Luger at a Great American Bash in Baltimore, and Luger bled, and the Baltimore Athletic State State Athletic Commission stopped the match on pay per view. Really? Yeah, Great American Bash, nineteen eighty eight. They called it a no contest because they didn't allow blood. Um, but sometimes if the NWA ran Baltimore, they would hire Harley Race to sit next to the athletic, the director of the athletic commission at ringside because Harley Race was intimidating and he would, he was just a very intimidating guy. And so they would hire Harley Race just to sit at ringside with the athletic director. And basically if the athletic director were to have made a move, Harley would just kind of be there to kind of, Rain them in, and that was after the Luger blood incident. Well, let's say, let's say the the the, the commissioner, or whatever, that that, that uh, was intervene. If they put his greasy paws on him. He was, they would sue the pants off of them. Don't you think? Uh, I mean, back then, this was when you know wrestling had more of like a Wild West kind of reputation. Here, as we see the Samoan SWAT team, 
Um, These guys are awesome. I like their look. I like this group here. I thought they were very underrated. Um, eventually, I didn't really understand the whole Sir Oliver Humperdinck thing, but yeah, it, it, it. But you know what? It 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 didn't take away from them. You know what I mean? Um, as we see, it looks like Tongan Kid, who was known as uh, Tama. Yeah. Um, and then you have there you have many the, people think Rikishi that. right here Junior Fatu um, and then Samu um, that uh, that Samoan lineage um, but yeah so Baltimore Luger bled and the athletic commission stopped it so then for a while if they ran Baltimore and they wanted to do a spot with blood they call Harley Race and he would sit next to the guy at ringside that's kind of funny um, this team here very underrated I liked their work the Simone SWAT team um, you know when 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 uh, Fatu and Samu would make it over to WWF as the head shrinkers um, I enjoyed their work in WWF too uh, but this this presentation here with the three of them they kind of they kind of in a way do that demolition thing where you have the, we don't know which two guys are going to wrestle, even though this is a six-man tag and all three are going to be in the match. Back in the day, they used to swap guys out here. Um, and I'm not sure why, but I would, I would venture to guess, I think not long after this, um, Tama, the Tongan kid there in the black, I think he left and uh, they just kept it a, a traditional tag team with these two here. Fatu and Samu. Yeah. Dr. Death, Midnight Express, Jim Cornette on one side, Sir Oliver Humperdinck on the other, and referee Tommy Young. <laughs> Come over here, you jack me off easy with hardware, brother. Who's <laughs> that? The Barbarian, right? Yeah, that was Barbarian. That's the story I've heard. Yeah, so talking about uh, uh, the Tonga kid, that uh, many people think that he's the uh, the key to the to the murder of, of the, the. I had a feeling the, that was going to come up the, the, because the, we've we've watched that Dark Side of the Ring. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm glad you kind of brought that up there. Yeah, that was even before. Uh, was that even before? I heard rumblings before. No, what's that? That 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 he was like the the like the. Like, like he, like, like he, he's he knew, the one. He yeah. knew a lot. He knew what took place. He was there, I guess. But at the same time, this like some of his either the the the, the way they edited the show tried to make tried to make it appear like he knew, but at the same time, he also kind of contradicted himself. I don't know. Some people are claiming that he wasn't there when that happened, based on the timeline of when he debuted in the WWF. But I don't know. He could have dark matches or whatever. But uh, but I did. It, it, it was quite though that their goal was to make uh, that that detective look like a fucking idiot, and they and they did. But then uh, so maybe they were just trying to um, like their agenda, or, like you know, that have uh, that have uh, the tongue of kid that uh. It'd be, it'd be like, were you in the car? And he's like, yeah, I was in that car. And then, and then he goes to the, the detective and it like 
was anyone in that car other than them? And the detective goes, no. And then they're like, well, about a half an hour ago, there was someone in that seat said he was in the car. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, but at the same time also, too, like, think about, like, think about all the, um, all the shows you do over the years, the cities you go to on the road, everything's just kind of a blur. All the head trauma you suffer with the bumps you take. You know, he may think he was on that show. He may think he was there that night. Yeah. But maybe he wasn't there that night. You know what I mean? Not dis- not discrediting his story, but, you know, and this is how much of a fucking mark I am. But there will be times where guys will say that they were there to witness this or they were on this show or they were in this match. And I'll be like, wait a minute. I watched that match. You weren't in that. You know, or wait a minute, I remember that. You weren't there for that, you know? That's a good point. I'll kind of call bullshit just based on, you know, my memories and, and going back and even having the research to back me up. Like, for instance, um, Kevin Nash always tells the story that um, the the his rationale for the finger poke of doom with Hogan. And Nash will, um, Nash will say, you know, Nash will say, oh, I, I I booked myself to win the title so that I could job to Hogan a week later with the finger poke, and then Goldberg could take his arm and smash the window of the limousine so we got no baby face to work with, because that made a lot of sense. <laughs> like that's his like that's his way of like trying to like, you know, detract the naysayers. And then that's where I call bullshit. Because Goldberg didn't smash his arm in that window after the finger poke. Goldberg did that a year later. You know what I mean? So some of these guys, they... they did he legitimately these, hurt himself too during he, it? Oh, he did, yeah. He <laughs> tore like a tendon. Like he was like, yeah, like he like, like he almost hit like a major artery. Like, <laughs> you know? But... Uh, that was a good spot. Yeah, that was a good spot there. Samoans bouncing around. Dr. Death here in for the tag. Dr. Death, um, oh, Jesus. Yeah, these guys fucking wailing on each other. Yeah. I always liked his intensity. You know, he brought that football background to his matches, and he just looked like a mean dude that could, like, fucking hurt somebody. Absolutely. You know what I mean? He looked like someone that could, you know, Dr. Death, like, which was a name I guess he got in high school when he wrestled uh, for his high school team. They would call him Dr. Death because of his, his quick and decisive victories in, am- in amateur wrestling. That's a Great, great nickname. Yeah. I can't imagine you, uh, you know, your high school wrestler, and and you have to wrestle a guy named Doctor Death. Yeah, the match is probably already lost. Yeah, you, you already lost before you be gone. Get a reputation, you know what I mean? Like, you know that that you know this guy's bad news. Oh, look at the crown. They're into it. They're finally, right. at the. Since uh, finally, since someone with two brain cells figured out not to do wide shots anymore. Yeah, you got yeah uptight close camera shots yeah. when it comes to the audience. Hopefully, they realize that they need to dim the lights too. But it's that that uh, it'd be a good fight in real life. Uh, Doc and uh, Samoans. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just saying. Uh, I was going to call him Rikishi, but... Uh, well, I mean, that, yeah, that, he that, is Rikishi that, there. That, uh, I mean, he's not Rikishi there, but... Them two, though, they really went at it. I bet you that'd be a damn good fight. 
Jesus. He's just mowing through every... Damn. Doc is laying it in. Yeah. Dead on the... He was always a better heel, if you ask me, but... Yeah. Dead, uh, well, just like the Midnights and Cornette. They're baby Yeah, yeah right. Here. Good point. You know? They, <laughs> Cornette, I mean, Christ. You look at Cornette, you want to punch him in the face, you know? Yeah. Before he even says anything. But, you know, this was the, the landscape at the time. I believe they were coming off the rivalry with... Um, with Paulie Dangerously and the his version of the Midnight Express with Dennis Condry and uh, Randy Rose. I don't know if you remember that. They were a team in the AWA. They were the original Midnight Express. Right. Um, and they brought that presentation to NWA to combat um, Bobby Eaton and uh, Sweet Stan Lane here. Which was my first introduction to the Midnight Express. Is that right? I, yeah. Oh, did... Uh... I, I vaguely remember this version of the Midnight Express. That I, I, I remember the, the yeah, Dennis and Bobby. That, that was, that's the Midnight Express I remember. Okay. See, I vaguely remember Dennis and Bobby. The only thing, the only memory I have of Dennis Condry as a member of the Midnight Express was the infamous scaffold match at Starcade with yeah. the Road Warriors. Like that was the first time I ever. In fact, that was the first time I ever watched Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton as the Midnight Express as a team. I didn't watch them, you know, before that. And and but I watched Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton as a team before that. Um, I had seen them in the magazines, and then I'd seen them wrestle like the Rock and Roll Express and and, and teams like that. So that's actually an interesting point you just made. That that that, uh, that I see like like this is over thirty years ago. Like like. like did I get? Did I see? I'm having. Um, did you see this team first, and then Conjury and Dennis? I'm Bobby saying, Bobby? Is, is it the magazines that, that I was that I saw? That uh, most of my exposure. I have no shame admitting this. Most of my exposure, uh, when I was a little kid, to the WCW and whatever. It was through the magazines. That, it was the magazines, yeah. So so maybe I'm getting confused between, like 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 what I saw. And what I in the wrestling, you know what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So, um, you know, my first exposure to wrestling was WWF, um, and then uh, I vaguely remember the Midnight one day, was in WWF. I don't remember that at all. What's that? They, they the, the Midnight. No, the, no. Oh. What I'm saying is I vague. No, I'm just talking about my exposure to wrestling as a whole. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, I, I, my first exposure to wrestling was WWF through Hulk Hogan. The rock and wrestling era. Yeah, of course. And so. I want to say it was like, maybe like 87, 88. I, I remember, um, I remember watching like Superstars or Wrestling Challenge as a kid and it was over and my father, we didn't have a remote control. We had the dial on the TV um, we didn't even have a cable box. We had a dial on the TV with the antenna, the the bunny ears, and he's flipping the dial, and all of a sudden, um, there's another wrestling company on. I'm like, wait a minute, is that WWF? And I look, and the first match I'd ever seen was the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express um, on WTBS, and then that's how I, you know, eventually would get introduced to 
Um, and I think right around the same time is like when I would get the magazines, the other, you know, the after mags and yeah. Pro Wrestling Illustrated and stuff like that. And I would see these guys and then I would see Ric Flair and, you know, I'd see Dusty Rhodes and names like that. And that's how I eventually had gotten um, exposed to WCW NWA at the time. So, um, and then that was just my, that was just more wrestling for me to watch. And then the tapes, you know, if they were at the video store, I'd get the tapes. So then I would, you know, I'd get the Starcades and I would get, uh, um, yeah, I would get star. I would get the Starcade pay-per-views, and this one, this was actually like one of the very first WCW tapes I remember Blockbuster making available was this show here, Halloween Havoc '89, uh, because it was mostly WWF, and everything I watched was WWF at that time. So, I did, uh... but the Midnight's yeah. were like. You know, I knew them as bad guys. I recognized them as bad guys. Um, and so they're one of the few, they're, they're one of the handful of acts that like, they're better off being what they, what I originally remember them for. You know, oh, ooh, that was a nice shot there by the, the Tongan kid. I don't even know what they named him during this. I think he was just like. I think they didn't even have names. It was like squat team member number one, squat team member number two. Yeah, like I don't think they like called it by names. You know what I mean? Like, um, but yeah, Bobby Eaton and uh, Stan Lane, you know, Midnight Express, my first introduction to them and um, when they were bad guys. And the Midnights and Cornette, definitely better bad guys than than, than good guys for sure. See, I don't get it where... I, I get the axe gets stale or whatever. Yeah, switch things I, I, up. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't necessarily think the answer is always turning a face or turning turn him heel. Just tweak, tweak like 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 who they are just a little bit. That uh, like I hate when, uh, like especially current wrestling, where, where like, you know, you just know the better the better character is them as a face or them as a yeah. heel. Like, like, Bailey heals okay, I guess, but, you know, it's so much better as a face. Mm-hmm. And, like... Um, Randy Orton is a heel. And Randy Orton is face. a heel. And, like, uh, like, I just don't get it, man. Yeah. But that, that uh... Um, when you make these make these guys who way... You just know are just way better a heel or a face. And, yeah. Like, Shinsuke Nakamura is my biggest example for current wrestling where... What the fuck, man? That guy should not... Uh, uh, he should have been a baby face. And he wasn't. He, and he didn't even jump the shark as 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 a face. And they turn him heel. Uh, 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 it's mind numbing to me. And, yeah, I'm 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 with you there. I mean, I think they tried to add a. They tried to add their own spin to him because he was an established act somewhere else, like WWE has always done, with just about anyone. And if you think about it, you know. Midnight Express were too Southern for them. I don't feel like they would have, even if they were to have brought them in, I feel like they, I feel like if they were to have brought them in, it would be without Cornette, and they would have tried to make them like a white meat baby face tag team. Probably right. And it probably, in the WWF, and it probably wouldn't have worked. You know what I mean? And they might not have even called them Midnight Express. You know what I mean? Like, shit, they couldn't call the Road Warriors the Road Warriors. They'd call them the Legion of Doom. You know? 
because what? because they needed to change their name so that they can put their own spin on it and own the trademark. He, he, here's the thing I never got. How, how did they get away with that? You, you know, because obviously what, that it was the Mel Gibson uh, that that uh, you, you know the the World maybe, War. Maybe at the t- maybe at the time they didn't own the trademark. I don't know. I just never got how they got it. Maybe, maybe they. Well, here's the thing too. That, they even did like the spikes and everything. And well, here's the thing too that doesn't that 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 doesn't that wouldn't surprise me. You know, during this time period in wrestling, you know, yes, wrestling was popular amongst wrestling fans, and to some degree, maybe a decent chunk of the mainstream audience, mainstream you know pop culture. Yeah. But you know, to people in enter- other forms of entertainment like television, and Hollywood, they. They didn't take wrestling seriously. So if, you know, they might not have even known that Hawk and Animal were known as the Road Warriors. You yeah. know what I mean? Like they, Because they looked at wrestling like so under the radar, like it was beneath them that like they didn't pay attention to it, you know? Nowadays it's different. You know, wrestling's very popular and even though there's a good portion of pop culture that don't take it very seriously and look at it as that, that phony wrestling stuff there's a lot of it's, it's becoming more accepted in the in the entertainment world and so if someone were to have ripped something off from the movies or television or whatever it would probably get more notoriety whereas during this time period you know hawking animals the road warriors mel gibson's not watching nwa to see who's ripping them off yeah you know, someone would have to have brought that to his attention. And even if they did, there's a good chance they'd have been like, ah, well, it's just the fucking wrestling. Nobody watches that wrestling shit anyways. You know I mean? That was one of the reasons why WWE wanted to, to change the name. I would imagine that it, had, it played a part in it for sure. Yeah, I would imagine that, the, you know, it's like, oh, well, we can't call them the Road Warriors. I don't want to get sued. Yeah. Like, they were smart about that. That's the one thing that they're very smart about, that people give them shit for, is that for as, for as much as, like, they get crap from fans for taking talents that were established somewhere else and trying to change them with like a name. They're trying to protect an intellectual property or they're trying to be able to market and make money off an intellectual property. So by creating a new name or a different name or a different variation of a name, you know, they're, they're not copying someone else's creation. You know, they're just kind of tweaking it. Whereas, like, for instance, you know, CM Punk was CM Punk forever. And before he came to WWE, he owned the trademark to it. They couldn't do anything about it, you know? They couldn't make money. I mean, they made money off of it during his time. And I guess to some degree, they could still make money off of it now. But for the most part, Punk owns that trademark. You know what I mean? So, they're very good at, like, trying to market things that's going to benefit them, you know? That's a good point. Hot tag to Dr. Death here. Jesus. He's just... Yeah. Bossing these dudes around. Holy crap. That's... And look yeah, how big Tongan kid. Look at that. Yeah. That is what... Look at that. People are going nuts for that shit. They're going crazy. Look at the strength on him. Such a good, that's a beautiful... That's a beautiful power yeah. slam. Yeah, and he's he Doc's had a reputation in wrestling for being one of the toughest guys and somebody you didn't want to fuck with. Ooh, that was a that was a sloppy job there. Yeah. By Stan Lane and Tongan Kid. Or that, that, squat team number for a three. Match that had a million spots that, 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 that for only having one botch, that's not so bad. 
Hey, you know something? Cornette really hasn't made a dent much in this match. Nah. You know what I mean? There's so many, there's so many talented guys in there. It's like Cornette's like forgotten about. Oh, okay. speaking of devil, here we go, right there, <laughs> right there. That's his, that's his big high spot. Oh, wait a minute. Tongan kid, Stan Lane in the Cornette two, three. That's the finish right yeah. there. So as we, as we just talked about it, Cornette <laughs> cost him yeah, the match. Yeah, the only spot he was really recognized for is the, the one that. Results in the finish. Simone SWAT team for the win over Dr. Death and the Midnights. Yeah, it was a fun little match. That was. I mean, to me, Doc stole it for me. Absolutely. Like, he was the, he was the star of that match. Like, he was just muscling guys around, picking the... Those guys are huge. you got to be a strong boy to be able to do that sort of thing. Here we go. Tennis, the tennis racket shot right there. And then cost him the match. Yep. Talking kid, Stan Lane into the tennis racket where Cornette is on the apron. Cornette takes the bump. Referee makes the count. Two, three. And your winners, the Samoan SWAT team, as we see Terry Funk and Gary Hart with Gordon Soley. Look at Terry Funk. He looks shredded. Oh, he looks jacked, yeah. Yeah. Look it's, at that. Uh, it's about what the. When did Roadhouse come out? What year was that, you know? Roadhouse? Oh, shit. And he looks like Roadhouse. I'll look that, yeah, from Roadhouse? Yeah, yeah. I'll look that up right now. I'm going to go look that up right now. Roadhouse. I'm trying to think. Uh... 89. Yeah. Yeah. Roadhouse came, release date, May 19th, 1989. Yeah, which, I mean, is, it... which is funny because he returned to the NWA... In May of 89 to start the angle with Ric Flair after Flair beat Steamboat in the trilogy at Wrestle War he attacked he attacked Flair think about it imagine what kind of me- mainstream media they could attention they could have gotten with him being in Roadhouse yeah you know what I mean it's one of the things they didn't capitalize on I, I love Terry Funk he's so funny. oh yeah I mean Funk's yeah Funk's a most certainly a uh an all-time great and a treasure here as we see who's in the ring waving the flag. It's the Cuban assassin. The Cuban assassin. Okay. He was mainly an enhancement talent yeah. for the most part. Yeah, doesn't get an entrance. Yeah, doesn't even get an entrance. Yeah. And who's coming down to the ring? Who's going to... Did you have a problem with him? Oh, God. Tommy Rich. Oh, God. Wildfire yeah. Tommy Rich. Wow. Did you have a problem with um, jobber matches... In pay-per-views, yes, I me too. Yeah, they're not meant for that. That's not that's not their place. I didn't pay forty dollars to see a nobody get beat up by an established guy that I could watch on TV for free every week. Maybe a monster heel versus versus like uh, two jobbers, and then he then they do like a. A promo where he's calling out the champion or something. Maybe I can get behind there. If it's to facilitate a larger angle, yeah. yeah. But well, if it's just to, if it's yeah. just to do like, but I mean, if it, if it's just to 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 put you know guys out there to fill time, I don't like it at all. And I, to, to me, this is ridiculous. That that, that uh, you say you're paying forty dollars or whatever. This is nineteen eighty nine. I get and I bet you they paid twenty five dollars yeah, at least. Twenty twenty five bucks. Yeah. yeah. And that and that was expensive money for pay per view back then. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Nineteen eighty nine money is much different than, you know, twenty twenty money. Um, that's for sure. 
And once again, what's this guy's name? I'm not familiar. Wildfire Tommy Rich. Oh God. He was big. He was big in the Georgia territory. Um, probably the most infamous match he was a part of was the last battle of Atlanta in 1983 in the Omni. He wrestled Buzz Sawyer inside of a steel cage. It was the very first incarnation of what would eventually become Hell in a Cell. It was a cage with a top, and he was he was. Battling Buzz Sawyer back and forth, I believe, for, um, I want to say it was for the, it might have been for the NWA title. Um, I'm going to look that up now, too. Last Battle of Atlanta. Um, it was for Georgia Championship Wrestling. Um, took place October 23rd, 1983. Tommy Rich wrestled uh, Buzz Sawyer. And the match took place inside of a steel cage with a cage uh, on top. It was a roof. Um, the match could only be won by pinfall or submission or when the competitor could not answer the 10 count. Buzz Sawyer was managed by Paul Ellering, who okay. managed the Road Warriors. Um, and he was locked in his own separate cage, like those like monkey cages that you got hanging over the ring. You, you remember that gimmick yeah, where course, like yeah. the guy would get put in a shark cage. It never worked. Right? So the stipulation was... Um, that immediately following the match, if Tommy Rich beat Buzz Sawyer, um, Ole Anderson would get five minutes alone with Paul Ellering. So Rich pinned Sawyer at 12 minutes and six seconds. After the match, Ellering came into the cage to check on Sawyer, um, and Anderson came out immediately after for the match. Um, in, in 2012, WWE released the footage, and it's actually on the network. You can find the match, and then you could also find separately the entire card of that show. Um, but him and Buzz Sawyer had a rivalry for many, many years, uh, for actually a few years, uh, that culminated in that big matchup um, in the last battle of Atlanta in the Omni. So that's what he's pretty much... I mean, he was a big name in the Georgia Territory. Um, he had a brief run... He was a transitional NWA world champion. Very brief run. Um, you don't, I'm surprised you don't remember Tommy Rich. Tommy Rich was also a member of the full-blooded Italians in the ECW. Was he? Yeah, it was like brief. It was like a spoof, like, because he everyone knew he was like a southern boy. That like They put him and Tracy Smothers together in the group with uh, Guido. And uh, Tracy Smothers yep. was in the full blood Italians. Really, you don't remember that? That was like '97, maybe '98. I remember him in what Guido or Gui Tracy Where Smothers, Guido. Or what was that fat guy? Big Sal. Yeah, Big Sal. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> yeah. Wildfire I... Rich was a part of that for a brief moment. Okay. But it was like a, it was done like as a spoof because like the only person that was really Italian out of that group was big was uh, Guido. Everyone else was like, there was even a black guy in the full blood Italians too. Remember JT Smith? No. You don't remember that? I'm Damn, not. I'm surprised. You're an ECW guy. I'm really surprised. I I, I just remember Guido uh, and that Big Sal. Okay. I barely remember his Big Sal's name, but uh. But yeah, not I'm not a fan of uh, enhancement matches on no. pay per views for sure, especially with the money that you're. No, you're, no, you're they're doing an arm drag. I mean, I get it. You need a match that maybe might be able to like slow the crowd down a little bit because you don't want to burn them out. But 
That was a good match, the little last one. That six man was, yeah, that was a fun match. Hey, you said the, the crowd, the crowd went bananas when, uh, when uh, they did the hot tag to yeah. Steve Williams. Dr. Death, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this here, just not doing it for me. Yeah. I mean, if you got to have a squash match, too, make it two minutes, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess they're trying to make the Cuban assassin look like he's a credible threat to <laughs> wildfire Tommy Rich here. The son of a bitch didn't even get an entrance. Yeah. And you know what also um, grinds my gears? I don't I don't remember this match. I can't tell you who wins or losses. But, uh... But uh, when 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 you have a a not so over guy get no entrance versus a guy who gets an entrance and the guy who 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 who, who, who don't even do like storyline with anything, but that it, what I'm trying to say is the graduate gear when somebody gets no entrance versus a guy who gets an entrance and the guy without the entrance wins. And then they do nothing with them anyway. You yeah. know what I mean? That that, that uh, they, you could, like, like it was like it was awesome when like, when Goldberg did it. Like you know, yeah, Hugh Morris, you know, like yep. you see it coming. Yeah. But but when you got this guy who's a like you know, you hardly a, use. Yeah, yeah, borderline mid Carter. Like like you just jump like you jump from commercial and you see like you know Billy Smith and I know it's in the ring already. Then here comes the other guy, you know? Yeah. And Billy Smith wins. It's like, what was the point? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, I get you. I get you. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of enhancement matches on a pay-per-view. They seem to have done it in more recent years, at least with WWE. Like, when they had when, when they brought Ryback in, and they had Ryback beating like two enhancement guys, three enhancement guys they sometimes. They did that on a couple of pay-per-views. Okay. And I was like, I mean, it's like, all right, I get it. Like, And they, I guess it worked because you they were building Ryback up. Like, they were trying to make him into a big deal. He was like the new Goldberg with the undefeated streak yeah. until they had Punk kill that off. Um, and, then they, and then they really cooled Ryback's jets after that. Um, but... I would say the closest thing to a squash match with an enhancement guy on a pay-per-view in later years, or in earlier years, I should say, when Yokozuna debuted for WWF, his pay-per-view debut was at the Survivor Series in November of 92, and he pretty much handed Virgil his ass. Even though Virgil wasn't technically an enhancement yeah. <laughs> talent, Virgil wasn't exactly high on the totem pole during that era. So, I mean, actually, Virgil jobbed to nails at SummerSlam a few months prior. So, I guess you would call that an enhancement match as well, you know? But that and... Oh, shit. Would you say Bundy and S.T. Jones from the first WrestleMania? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Was an enhancement match with yeah. Bundy with the eight seconds? Squash the shit out of him. What did S.T. Jones do after that? Not much. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So we're kind of on the same page here. In the same ballpark, if you will. I can't believe this match is still going on. They, I was about to say, they just... They, Can they we end this shit already? <laughs> my goodness. That's got to be it, right? That is press. Oh, my God. That was the finish? That was the finish. That was fucking awful. He's so mad. He, he hardly won his hand race. He's leaving. He's like, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. 
Fuck this, I'm out. I'm going to the side entrance. I tell you what, the crowd, uh, they did a better job. The, it looks like the arena's filling up. Yeah, I noticed that. Either either people got in late or they realized that, you know, that we need to dim the lights a little bit because it doesn't look as... It's like empty okay. as it you know, before. it's been construction, whatever. Let's see what the attendance was here. I'll, let me look that up for a minute. Let's see what the attendance was for... I'd guess 8,000 maybe. Jack, eighty-nine. Free birds. Right, there we go. World Tag Team Champions. One of them's only wearing the belts. Jimmy Jam Garvin and Michael P. S. Hayes. Yeah, I always like the Garvin brothers. He wasn't portrayed as a brother of Ronnie, you know. I right? meant, but they they, they were together. Yeah. They, they would have an association. So it's so, so funny. One's so flamboyant, and the other guy is like you know, like a like a shut up. I'm just gonna kick the shit out of you, guy. Um, so apparently this show was attended by 7,300 people, roughly. Gotcha. It looked like it looked about 8,000. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much. I would imagine that that building probably seats like 10 at the most. Yeah. I would imagine, but I don't know. And it's an auditorium, so it's kind of got that, like auditorium kind of look with the balconies and um, the birds here. Um, another team that my first introduction to was this group here. Michael and Jimmy. Michael and then I wouldn't find out till later that Michael tagged with um, oh this is fucking brutal. That's not who I think it is. is that it? is Jim Cornette. No no uh, yeah I don't know that's Jimmy but uh, is this yeah that's the, uh, the Shane Douglas. Yep, Shane Douglas and Johnny Ace. Oh my god. They have skateboards? Yep. And Cornette was their manager. And this was like the beginning of the rivalry. I think this was done to, to turn Midnight's back into heels because they were jealous that Cornette was also managing them. Yeah, I know. That they didn't even ride down to the ring. I'll be honest with you. Didn't care for them as a team. But I like their ring gear because I, I was big into the like the neon colors, you know, like the 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 surf skater kind of look as a kid. I thought that was pretty cool. Everything else, I'm sorry, they're instantly dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> look at them; they look like a couple of douchebags. Well, why the fuck is Cornette not at least dressed like them? I don't get it. Like, how old do you think Johnny Ace is right now? Right now? Yeah. He's got to be close to 60. I, I mean, mean, like... I didn't oh, in this? Yeah. I'd say, like, maybe late 20s, early 30s. Could That's be right. I mean, it, 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 it's a 30-year-old man fucking with a skateboard? Oh, I don't know. Like, I get a 30-year-old can skateboard and rock, and, uh, and rock it, but they look like fucking... Adults. Explain it. Yeah. <laughs> Adults wearing <laughs> small booty shorts... Walking down to the ring with skateboards, but not using the skateboards. The jackets. The, the, it looked like um, something that, you know, uh, like something that some, like those kids from Salute Your Shorts would wear. Like, <laughs> like, it made no sense to me, man. Salute Your Shorts. It made no sense. Seriously. <laughs> Look at this. It doesn't make sense. The way these two idiots dance. Look at them. Yeah. I will say this. I remember watching this match and... The crowd was into the birds more than they were into the dynamic dudes with Cornette. Without a doubt. Oh, you man. go back and watch this, I'm telling you. Well, the crowd's we, definitely for We can play the audio for a minute here. Yeah. Hey, Obama, 
uh, a lot of wrestlers come to the ring with music nowadays. But Michael Hayes fans was the first wrestler to use yep. rock and roll music on his entrances in our sport. The inspirational leader over the years of the fabulous Freebirds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And many say that when he added Jimmy Garvin as the newest member of the Birds, that he has the best combination that he has had to date. I'm sure that could be debated by aficionados of the sport, but the proof is, until now, Hayes had never held any version of the World Tag Team Championship. He does so now in the National Wrestling Alliance. And one of the big threats, of course, is the team right here in the ring with him now, the Dynamic Dudes. They've got to dispose of the Dudes to reinforce their hold on that World Championship. You know, Bob, our sport is changing. We're getting student-athletes involved in professional wrestling. Shane's got a degree in education. Johnny's got a degree in marketing. But Hayes and Garvin were valedictorians in the School of Hard Knocks. That's right. And so you've got two diverse backgrounds here. Both uh, Hayes and Garvin started in the sport as teenagers. The new era, Shane and Johnny started in the sport after they finished their education, which kids is so very, very important nowadays to get that education. They have done that and now they're in their chosen sport, but they have that degree to fall back on at any time. That's right, and they, they've got that knowledge and you can't take it away from them. Shane, the great move on Michael Hayes. You know, I think the dudes, we have to admit, are entering this match as the decided underdogs. The youngsters from the city of Sunshine, Captivated, especially the younger fans, and they end up right. You're back with Chief Freebirds. Yeah. But there's no, this is both, again, they're both in Philadelphia. Are the Freebirds supposed to be heels right now? Yeah. Were they? Yeah. I just wanted to play the audio just because the, you could see as you're watching and listening the the crowd is really behind the birds and they're not really reacting well to um to to the dudes as baby faces you, seriously would you cheer even as a 10 year old whatever would, would you actually cheer for the fucking dynamic dudes come on oh i know i don't know like i said I, as a kid i liked the gear like the you know the, the i was into the neon colors and it, you know you're heading into the 90s and everything was new and fresh and so I, I liked the color I just didn't care for the team itself yeah I guess you know I what I mean Dick Jim Cornette must be like and Cornette I don't understand what that was all about I think they were just trying to put Cornette with the team to establish maybe turning on them so that they you know so, so that they can I think they were trying to relive like the the intensity that the Midnights and the Rock and Roll had against each other by having this young babyface tag team aligned with Cornette at first only for Cornette to turn on them later and then you start a rivalry with the Midnights, you know what I mean? Yeah. Turn the Midnights heel where the, where people would, you know, expect them to 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 be and in hopes that it gets Shane and, and Ace over as a babyface tag team. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, the, 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 the dynamic dudes, that's a tough sell. But, uh, I think I probably like the Ding Dongs more than I fucking love them. Stop! 
the <laughs> ding dongs. Yeah, absolutely. At least they, at least they made 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 me laugh. You know what I mean with the. Do bell? you know that the ding dongs made a um a brief return at um at a um uh a, a wrestling convention last year? Did they really? Yeah. Um. Did they get booed off? I can see that either in one extreme. Did they get booed at at the building or? Or did people explode? I doubt they got a mild reaction. Um, so it was more or less like a like a gag, like a like a joke, I guess you could say. Um, it was uh, last was it last fall when AEW did their 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 Revolution pay per view. No, they did the uh, the full gear pay per view in November uh, of last year um, at uh, in Baltimore. Um, they ran a, uh, uh, a StarCast uh, wrestling convention, and they had Sting um, doing uh, appearances at the convention. Oh, geez, um, yeah, that dropkick was, was pretty sloppy, <laughs> double dropkick. Um, Sting was doing an appearance at the convention dressed as red, white, and blue Sting from when he won the title from Flair, Great American Bash, which took place in Baltimore. So then they brought the ding dongs, um, and I think it was just two random guys that like. I think the promoter uh, Conrad Thompson had um, acquired the ring attire of the ding dongs, but had just two random dudes playing them for the photo op. Um, but yeah, it was it, it was meant to be just more of a, of a comedy thing than anything else. I don't think it was meant to have any serious effect to it. What the fuck? It says Fantasia on the back of Michael Hayes' tights. I don't know. I don't know what the, that's all about. And then, uh, but yeah, the, 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 I thought the Ding Dongs, <laughs> call me crazy, but I thought they had potential. They, it just wasn't well executed. No. That, that, uh, like that whole thing where, I just love where, where like, they're about to make like the hot tag, and they're going to ring the bell like, ring come the on! Bell. I don't know. I just I thought it was fucking funny. I heard of it, but I never saw it until later years. So it was something that obviously was pretty quick. Didn't last very long. No. Um. Uh, I think they, I think their last match they got squashed by the um. Oh, the thing. What was that? Dance by the uh. Skyscrapers. Yeah, I think it was skyscrapers. They're on this card. This show's loaded with tag teams, if you think about it. You got the Samoan SWAT team. Yeah. You have the Midnight Express. You got the Freebirds. Yes, you got Dynamic Dudes. You got the Skyscrapers. You got the Warriors. Road Warriors. You got Doom. You got the Steiner Brothers. You get this, this match is loaded with tag team matches. I think there's only one, two, three, four singles matches on this card. Wow. And the rest are tag team matches. And... All with a bunch of great tag teams, you know. Well, that's a nice move here. Yeah, this is probably the, the highlight of the match. And they come in, they get no fucking reaction. Nope. <laughs> None whatsoever. It's crazy. Yeah. Crowds cheering because the, the Freebirds get close though. Yeah. Plus they're they're established and you know they're, they're cool. I guess you know the, the audience is into them. Yeah, I think it's a Philadelphia team. You know, yeah, they, they, yeah, they'll, they fucking throw snowballs and batteries at Santa Claus. Ugh. 
Yeah, Philadelphia is a, a rough wrestling town. I've never been to a show in Philadelphia. I've always wanted. Oh, I've been to a, uh, a football game. Uh, Vikings versus. I'll Eagles. never go to a football game uh, there. Oh, dude, I'll be the. Like, well, never. Granted, it, it, I guess I'm a Giants fan. I will never set foot in that stadium. They'll kill you if you were at the Yeah, Giants. exactly. <laughs> you know they were the first team to have instituted a, um, a holding cell and a jail with like. A court. With, with a court with a judge. Yeah. In in in, in their state in the old stadium, I'm, I'm sure they yeah, have the, the new stadium now. Yeah. But yeah, they were the but first. That's what I went to. I went to the vet. Yeah. Oh, at the vet. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's talking... the first team to ever do that in the NFL. I want to say it was '99, uh-huh. either '98 or '99. Um, the Vikings and the Eagles were both. Maybe it was two two thousand. I don't know. It was either '99 or two thousand. I forget. That that uh, and and we're getting blown out, and and I and I'm like. And I'm, I'm like a teenager. I'm getting beard thrown at me. I'm wearing my Viking colors. Let's say that me and my uncle both. And and we're getting beer thrown at us. And the craziest thing that I saw the whole day, Minnesota Viking fan, but that from Minnesota, you could tell because the way she screen, uh, was talking, that, that she had that accent. Anyway, she has from hot mi- dogs. From Minnesota. Yeah, exactly. North Dakota, Minnesota. That, uh, Lake Minnetonka, Minnesota. Here's this woman. Uh, she's a, uh, just just um, just for story wise, she was she was overweight, and uh, she has like uh, hot dogs, and nachos, like a big tray full of food, right? Yeah. And here comes this asshole Philadelphian, jumps <laughs> on her back, right? And all of this food goes everywhere, right? And and that th- who who sees the security, security, and who's the motherfucker that gets thrown out? Not the guy that jumps on the back and is going, yeah, cowboy! And he's screaming <laughs> that, right? The woman gets thrown out of the game! Jesus. And the, and the guy gets nothing. And everyone saw it. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, they're going, nah, 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 hey, goodbye. Oh, and, like, this woman did nothing. Then, uh, yeah, they're ruthless. I'll never go to a football game there. And we're getting blown out. It was like 34-7 Eagles. And, oh, I'll never go there. Oh, man. I don't even like to watch them on TV. <laughs> that, well, you're a giant well, fan, but that, and of course, uh, the, um, I know we should be talking about wrestling. No, no, but, no. I mean, but but that's the, during the, the uh, NFC Championship game a few years back. Again, we're getting blown out, and then uh, you were at and, that game. And, no, I didn't. But you uh, watched that too. Uh, thank God. And, uh, I thought about it. You might I really be alive. Did. Then, uh, you might not be alive if you were at that game. No, I don't know. If you're getting blown out, there's a little different. And then, uh, if we would have won, if you were purple, yeah, you're in trouble. But then here's the thing. The game is over. The Vikings lost. And here, here's some Viking fans walking under a bridge. And uh, that, that once they get to the part where, like, you know... Anyway, they got pissed on. You know I mean? People from, like, from like 20 feet below literally Jesus. urinated on Viking fans. So... <laughs> I went, so I, I used to have a friend, uh, we lost touch, and I don't even know if he's even alive. This was many, many years ago. Um, he was a big Eagles fan. He grew up in the area. I think he went to high school outside of Philadelphia. And I was a big Giants fan. And he went to go see the Giants-Eagles play at the old Giants Stadium. And he got so drunk that he accidentally... He thought he was going into his friend's car, and he just sat in the car, and th- like to like to, to le- they were leaving the game. He thought he was getting in his friend's car. It turns out it was someone else's car, and uh, 
Is this match over? Is it about to be over? Finally. Thank fucking God. Long story short, he gets arrested because these people saw this stranger sitting in their car. Their car was unlocked in the parking lot. He's skunk, you know, skunk drunk and um, cops arrest him. So I call his phone because he's supposed to be back like a few hours later to come to a party with us. Christmas party. And this guy, this New Jersey State Trooper picks up the phone. He was like, who's this? I'm like, who's this? I'm calling for my buddy Steve. He's like, this is Trooper Barone. He's been arrested. I'm like, see, you need to stop fucking around. I'm like, thinking this is like a total rib. He's yeah. like, no, this is Trooper Barone. I was like, well, let me speak to Steve. He's like, well, he's, he's not available. He's currently locked up right now. He goes, your friend's got an attitude problem. I go, what do you get arrested for? He goes, you're going to talk to your friend about that. I was like, well, then put him on the phone. Like, I'm like, yeah. I'm like being a real dick. I probably got him in so much trouble with all the shit I was saying. Long story short, he got arrested and they considered it breaking and entering or whatever. Um, but, you know, he was an Eagle fan at a, at a Giants game. So I'm sure that the, the, the cops there were a little rough on him. And then years later, I went to a Raiders-Bills game with a girlfriend of mine at the time. She was a big Raider fan. And I wore a Raiders shirt. I almost got murdered by, like, these three guys at the beer line. The beer vendor tried to overcharge me for beer. He was like, that'll be $15, please. I'm like, the sign says 9 He was like, well, you're a Raider fan. I'm like, you're... I was like... I'm paying nine bucks. I'm not giving you no fifteen dollars for a beer. Fuck you, dude. And these two other guys that were standing there were giving me a hard time because I gave it back to him. So then later, the, the the girlfriend's father was with me, and we go to the bathroom, and we walk in. We're the only two Raiders fans in the bathroom, and all of a sudden these this, these guys are like, oh, we got visitors, and I'm like, oh. I was like, are we going to get our ass kicked in the bathroom by all these Buffalo Bills fans? So as I'm walking towards to the, the stall to use the stall, you know those sinks that you can like put your foot on the pedal and like maybe five or six people can sit around the sink and wash their hands? Yeah. There are about five or six guys peeing in this sink. All right. So I saw five or six Buffalo Bills dicks in the sink. <laughs> so then I go to the stall. And I get into the stall, and this fucking overweight guy, he's got a belly shirt, and he's got an Audi belly button that looks like the size of a doorknob. And he looks at me, and he's like, hey, Oakland, I left a present for you. And there was brown murky water all the way up to the top of the bowl and a big pile of shit on the actual seat. I'm like, how the fuck did you take a shit on the seat? I was like, I I couldn't believe it. I had to stand on the handicap bars of the inside of the stall to pee on the on the on the. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, I couldn't even pee. It was fuck. It was like water up to the top. But well, you're you're asking for trouble. That 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 uh, a you were talking about Buffalo, and then and also B you're talking about the Raiders. Think about there's probably Bill fans that probably went to Oakland or Los Angeles wearing their colors, getting going to the black hole. Yeah. Can you imagine how much shit they got? Yeah. I mean, I was doing it at the time for the girl because she was, uh, you know, she was a big Raider fan. She'd never seen the Raiders play before. Oh, God so, bless you. but yeah, that, that, that was the first and only time I ever played a game in Buffalo. Well, let's get back to the wrestling here. Here's uh, woman. Woman with Doom, Ron Simmons and Butch I love Reed. Doom. Now I never understood. Did they just one day decide they weren't going to wear the masks, or did they take the masks off them? That's like I don't question. remember. Do you remember? No, I don't. Okay, I didn't like the capes here. I thought the capes were silly. Um, but, uh, you know, look at this fan. He's leaned over the, the seat and everything. The sign, heavy security presence at the front row. 
But um, the Doom and the Steiners. This should be a good match. Yeah. And Doom, Doom was always one of my favorites. And Steiners, I always respected their work. I, I just, love the Steiners. I just never was a fan. Oh, the, the, I love the, the Steiners. I like the I like the fact I didn't like I the fact that Rick wore I didn't like the fact that Rick wore two different colored boots, but I liked the fact that like they were just they were just like roughhousers, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they 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 throw you around, they close on your head off. Um Maybe because of the Michigan gimmick. I hated the Wolverines. I still do. Nah, I mean I that did, that didn't really bother me per se. Um but uh, I just remember, you know, always excited to watch them just because of the, the, the way they worked. The clothesline, the Steiner lines. Everything was a Steiner <laughs> line or, or a suplex, you know. It was just, it, it, was, it was fun stuff watching the Steiners. And Very underrated on. Steiner Brothers match. I think you should go out of your way to watch. is from the Halloween Havoc the next year in 1990. They wrestled the Nasty Boys. For the United States Tag Team Titles. Oh, here we go. Jesus. Look at Scott. (laughs) See, this is why I like them so much. Because they just threw guys around. They threw those two guys around. Like, that's fucking unreal. Oh, right there. Like, obviously, Scott had a successful singles run. But it boggles my mind that... that, uh, WCW put more investment into Scott Steiner's singles career than Rick Steiner. Why? Uh, I, I think you Rick Steiner. You, you, you don't think Scott was the better uh, of the two in terms of star power? No, not uh, really. No, the, the, not, like, like the like the like the like the bulldog gimmick was so fucking good that uh or that uh I I think the real money was uh in uh, Rick Steiner. Yeah. That uh, and I, and I think viewership would dictate that. That when you put the, when they put the the strap on Steiner, those ratings were not good. But uh, I don't know. That's just my opinion. Well, I mean, WCW. Uh... I mean, it stunk. It absolutely stunk. But that that, uh, um, yeah, you could probably, that um, you could probably put the title on anybody back then. Well, I I get that. That but uh. Anyway, I just thought uh, Rick Steiner was where the money was. Yeah, I mean, um, I like Scott better. I think I think what helped with Scott was the Frankensteiner. I love that move. Yeah, that was a good move. I love that move. Um, and I think like because I didn't like Rick wearing the two colored boots, and he was like the goofy one. Like that kind of played into why I like Scott. Um, but when Scott was champion in WCW, you know, ten years later, it, it, nothing. You could have put the belt on Goldberg again; they wouldn't have given a shit. You know what I mean? You could have yeah. be- put the belt on Sting again; they wouldn't have given a but shit. Even take like this WWE stuff. You know what I mean? That, it, well, this WWE stuff, especially, was fucking terrible. Well, yeah. I mean, when he first came in, he came in hot. You know, he came in at Survivor Series at Madison Square Garden. They went crazy for him. And even some of his early confrontations with Triple H in the beginning. But when they had that match at the Royal Rumble, oh, my God. I call that the worst. That's That was the beginning of the end for Scott Steiner, um, in my opinion. Yeah. No, uh, the, the match at the Royal Rumble in 2003. That was just awful. I will say, the stuff he did with Test and Stacey Keebler wasn't so bad. 
Yeah, that was when they feuded a little bit, and then they became a team, and they like forced her to be their valet. That was all right, but the injuries piled up for him, um, and he just he he wasn't the performer he once was. And then he went to TNA, and he didn't do half bad, like with Jeff Jarrett and I part of that. Cool, I didn't like it. They were okay, but like he. He's a good... He, let's, let's put it this way. He was a good personality. You know what I mean? Yeah. He wasn't the best wrestler, but he he was still pretty popular. People still wanted to see him. Of course, that... that uh, was it was it Impact or was it WCW where he uh, he gave us that, uh, that gem promo about the math? That was... Uh, excuse me. That was... Uh, that was that was Impact. That's TNA. Samoa Joe. And Kurt Angle. I gotta say, was, that, was, that was pretty good. That's it, what he's it, known it was, for today. It was so bad that it was, it was, it was brilliant. Yeah, it was, that's, I mean, that's, you know, it's like an underground cult classic. You know, you YouTube it. Scott Steiner math promo. If you go to keep one throughout history, would you keep Sid Vicious, um, um, I only have half the brain you do promo, or the Scott Steiner math promo? I'd keep the Steiner math promo. I think you, I think you, you picked wisely. Yeah, as much as I love that promo by by Sid Vicious, said that that, uh, that uh, would you even go and say it's so bad it's brilliant that that's the like your like the best one of all Steiner time. Steiner or Sid? Uh, 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 Steiner. We we say that's the best. It's so it's his so be- bad. His it's best so, promo. That that is best promo. I'm just saying that Matt promo. It was it, so bad that it became it, brilliant. Is, is, it, is, it, is it the best? It's so bad, it's brilliant promo of all time? I mean, yeah. He he, he, he he took something that made no sense, and he he made people care about it. Like, when, the, when, when that promo, when he, when he delivered that promo back in, I think it was like 2006, 2007, something like that, People were just kind of like, huh? Okay. That's kind of funny. But now it's like created a life of itself, you know? Yeah. Underground. Like if you if you YouTube Scott Steiner subtitles, and I've said this till the cows come home, and I'll say it again, but Scott Steiner is funny and doesn't know that he's being funny, you know, now. Like in the last several years with his promos, especially the math promo. To him, he probably thought he was fucking serious. Oh, you can tell, definitely. But to everyone else, it's hilarious. So, if you, like I said, YouTube Scott Steiner math, or Scott Steiner, you know, subtitles, you'll find old promos of him from WCW when he was Big Papa Pump, when he would go on his rant and raving, and even some stuff in TNA where, like, guys would, like, put subtitles underneath what they think Steiner is saying. You know what I mean? And it's pretty funny stuff. And I always felt that, like, when he was with TNA towards the end, that it would have been cool if, as, like, a running gag, he would cut promos and he wouldn't... Jesus, again with that suplex. My goodness. I mean, can't help but wonder how... How seriously hurt? Is that Ron Simmons or Butch Reed? I think that's Ron Simmons. Yeah, that's right, boy. How? Jesus, they're having their way with Doom here. 
It's crazy. Well, well, it's best. Um, I always thought it would be kind of cool if, like, Steiner would cut these promos and there would be subtitles underneath and, like, the subtitles would, like, you know, he, he would go on, like, this gibberish rant and the subtitles would make us believe he's saying something else, but it doesn't, you know, what he's saying is not adding up to the yeah. subtitles and that the audience would 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 like him even more because they, you know, the things that were would be said in these subtitles would be so outlandish, you know? Um, but Steiner wouldn't know it. You know what I mean? I thought that would be kind of like a cool gimmick. Um, to kind I think of, that would work for sure. To kind of add something to him at that time. I'm, I'm with you. I think that would have worked. There's something um, that uh, they did many years later, but uh, that that is um, there's something. Um, uh, since the way you said that uh, about like subtitles and promos, yeah. I implore anyone of the kicking attitude listening audience, Google or U- uh, YouTube um, Ahmed Johnson. Um, oh. uh, that that uh, the guy that that uh, Farouk, you go down, Farouk, that the guy that took uh, Ahmed Johnson uh, promos and like subtitle it, oh, like to, oh, to, yeah. to make it funny. I gotta see this. Shit. Oh, it's really good. I gotta it's, see this. It shit. is so good. Yeah, uh, YouTube Ahmed Johnson like uh, um, uh, promo like subtitle. Someone. Oh, oh, it's brilliant. It's I gotta absolutely watch that brilliant. Shit. Yeah, I gotta watch that shit. It's funny that you say that because I believe it was in 97 when Jeff Jarrett returned to the WWF in the fall of 97 and he kind of did like a like a like a worked shoot kind of promo and he talked about how um, during his first run in the WWF that WWF paired him up with a guy who couldn't speak English and he was referring to Ahmed Johnson in the promo. <laughs> and I was cracking up. Um, if you watch some... I, I watched a shoot interview with Ahmed Johnson a number of years ago and he, I don't know if he had a... And, and you might know this because you know, you've know you openly admitted you have a speech impediment, but I don't know if he had a speech impediment and if he talked too fast, couldn't understand what he was saying... But he um, he uh, he would talk, and I'd have to rewind back what he was saying because he would talk so fast I couldn't understand it. But yeah, that uh, I felt bad for the guy, but you know, on the other hand, he was just so fucking funny. Just it was so bad, it was funny. It looks like you see here; those seats are filling up, Dennis. Yeah, I mean, I don't I think this smoke and mirrors. I I really do think that. Uh, I wonder if there was like a late, like there was an issue with like the, the start times. Let's with, 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 with tickets. I I forgot what pay per view it was, but but you, yeah, that uh, a guy was about, uh, was like about to jump off a bridge. So so for half the show was half out the arena. Then then when they finally cleared up the. The traffic, boom! Really? Like it's blood. I forgot what pay per view it was. was. A wrestling pay per view. It, it was a wrestling pay per view. That that uh, uh, some guy was going to commit suicide yep, on a bridge well, near the arena, and they yep, stopped traffic. Yep. Yep. And then, and then we'll look that one up. Then, then once the police uh, um, it got got the guys sedated or whatever, then um, um, yeah, then, then, um, then like halfway through the show, boom! In the full arena. Wow. Trying to think what show was anyway. I don't know. Like I said, I, my my that uh, 
even even more than my speech, my biggest shortcoming is my memory. Is this the finish here? No, I think do that. Uh, not to spoil the finish, but I, I well, I'm gonna spoil it. Doom, I'm pretty sure wins. Nice swinging neckbreaker by Butch Reed. I love Butch Reed, by the way. You know, Butch Reed was was slated to dethrone Ricky Steamboat for the Intercontinental Championship in 1987. And he turned, I believe it. He's and he so turned, freaking good. And he turned it down. Uh, why, I wonder why he turned it down. And he no-showed the event. And, I, and he was he was rumored to be the guy. Was it was it WCW getting no. a medal offer? I don't know. Um, why would you turn that I down? I think he had some issues with money, um, with payoffs. Because at the time, you only made what the house drew, you know. You only, you only, you know, if you if you had a, a strong house, that determined your pay. Um, and so, uh, I, I want to say there was an issue with money, and he no showed, and then that's where they inserted Honky Tonk Man into the mix. All right. Um, and yeah, he, you know, if he showed up and. Did his job. Honky Tonk Man may have never been the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion of all time. That, uh... I, I love Butch Reed. And the one match, I'm telling you, they missed the mark. It could have been an all-time great. And they turned into a squash match. WrestleMania 4, Savage and Reed. That match could have been phenomenal. And they just... They had too many matches on that show. That whole tournament was a fucking clusterfuck. It was... It, it, I, I don't... I, I, maybe you know, or someone at the listen, uh, kicking out of two listening audience might know that uh, it, was that the uh, for card wise that did that did I have the most matches that that, that for any WrestleMania? Um, I don't know. I, don't I think it's up there. I think it's what up there like with like some matches. Yeah, like fourteen or fifteen matches. I think it's up there. I think last year's WrestleMania would um. Not the not this previous year, not this year, uh, not thirty six, but I think thirty five had a total of like sixteen or seventeen yeah, matches. Really, we're talking about the one in New York. Uh, yeah, okay. I think so. Um, I think they had like sixteen matches on that card, but that's like I mean that was a forever. Four, four of them, four yeah. of them are on the kickoff show, and yeah. half the stadium isn't even filled. Everyone's still trying to get to their tickets and buy the fucking shirts and the and the concessions and stuff like that. So four of those matches, nobody even gave a shit about. Um, and then the other 12, 11 matches, whatever they were, um, ended up uh, on the uh, you know the main card, if you, if you want to call it. But I think WrestleMania 4 as like one of the, the most... You know what? I'm going to take a look at that right now, as a matter of fact, as we're watching this. I'm going to look I, it up. I am a gambling man. And, and if I had to put money, I would, I'd say 4 had the, the most matches. Alright, I'm going to look it up right now. WrestleMania 4. Because they had, like, so many, like, two-minute matches. A lot of it was tournament matches because yeah. they had to bust through that whole tournament. You know what I mean? Alright. So, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 matches on this card. It was, was that 4 or is that the... That's WrestleMania 4. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it's tied with WrestleMania 35 as the um, the one that uh, has the most matches of a WrestleMania. I could be mistaken. But we see here 
And if I'm not mistaken, didn't Rick Steiner and her have a little thing um, on TV when Rick Steiner was part of the Varsity Club? Oh, she put something in his mask. Yeah, this is going to be the first We we forgot to talk about Doom in the mask podcast last week. Yeah. Shit. With the, the foreign object in the mask. And that's it. And there's the win right there. Doom picks up the victory over the Steiner brothers. I love woman that... Uh, Nancy. Yeah. I, I hope she gets to the Hall of Fame. She was... You know what? She was one of the more intimidating looking women. Um, she was beautiful. Yeah. She was very intimidating looking. She kind of... She was like... She was like WCW's version of... Of sensational Sherry, like she was the she was the bad guy woman that was aggressive that wasn't afraid to mix it up, you know. Really good looking, but also like you know she could kick your ass, sort of thing. That's a good analogy, yeah. Like that's what reminded me of her. But I'd like to see her in the Hall of Fame someday. It that uh, it might not happen because it's just, um, you know the whole thing with Benoit, yeah. yeah. I think she deserves it. I do. I mean, but unfortunately, she's, you know, her, her death is linked to, um, here's your favorite wrestler right here. Yeah. <laughs> Total I don't package. Know if I, I don't Lex know if I ever Luger. mentioned this on the Kicking Out of Two podcast, no. but, but he, for, for, he might be my least favorite wrestler of all time. He might be. And that's because... His work rate, uh, I said, yeah, that, uh, it just... It, it stunk? It stunk. Is, is this, this is against Pillman, right? Yep. This, would you say this might be, uh, Pillman's coming out, even though that, that he lost a match? Would you say this is his coming out party? Yeah, I would have, I would say so, yeah. I mean, he was still making waves, but, like, this was his biggest, this was probably his, his, his biggest match to date at that time. I mean, Luger was established. Luger was a name, you know. Luger had wrestled, you know, he was a member of the Four Horsemen. He was a babyface, yeah. and now he's a heel. Um, I mean, yeah, Luger Luger was a big name at the time, and putting him in there with Pillman, who many looked at as, like, a, a light heavyweight, a flyer. Like, yeah, I, I, would, I, would, I would guess that this is... Uh, that this is, uh, you know, uh, Pillman's biggest match at the time. Yeah, I it's, you just gotta figure that. Cheerleaders, uh, eh? Oh, this is they, they so because Pillman had a football background. Oh right. As a member of the Bengals, they're trying to, uh, you know, play up the, uh, the the football thing with the. They should have at least at least the the girls were. Uh, um, orange and black then, right? Yeah, I don't know what the blue and yellow is for. Maybe maybe it was the colors of his old high school. I don't know. The Flying Brian, man. <sighs> I used to love Flying Brian Pillman. One of my favorites. I, li- I liked anything Brian Pillman. The Loose Cannon, Flying Brian. Hollywood Blondes. Hollywood Blondes. Yeah. He was so freaking good. Oh, man. I think... Uh, Sadly, if he didn't get if he if he didn't die prematurely, I I'm convinced. Literally during the during the Stone Cold um, attitude the, era, the attitude title reign, he was going to be champion. 
You know, I had this conversation with Justin a few weeks ago uh, when we watched the episode of Monday Night Raw from September the 22nd, 1997, and Pillman was on there, and I had said, and we we kind of disagreed a little bit, but, you know, we, we both understood where we were coming from. I had said that, you know, Pillman, had he not died prematurely, I think would have been a big staple of the Attitude Era. He may not have wrestled for a long time because of his injuries, but I feel like he would have been one of those names that you talk about, like Austin, Rock, Mick Foley, Undertaker, DX, you know, names like that. Um, I feel like Pillman, with his loose cannon persona, he would have probably had another good, strong year, year and a half, maybe two years tops in ring. He may not have wrestled a full schedule and the matches might not have been the quality that, you know, of his matches from his younger years, but that loose cannon persona, I feel like would have given a lot of those other strong um, characters during the Attitude Era run for their money. Um, Justin even said something to the effect of, you know, he could have pictured Pillman as like, a transitional challenger for Austin for the title. Um, I think after Austin won the belt, I, th- I, I think you'd have been one, one of the few that actually um, just to have, have Austin have a legitimate like uh, like chase for the title. I think it would have been against Pillman. I you really think do. Pillman would have won the belt and been a, and been a heel I, champion and Austin would have really chased him? Really? Let me ask you why, because I don't agree with you. I, but, but, I, I, I think this would have been the storyline. I really believe this, and this just shows you like the um, the trajectory of just how, just how things could have happened. Mm-hmm. If he didn't die, and I'm convinced about this, it's not Owen Hart, um, uh, Stone Cold at SummerSlam. It's Brian, it's Brian Pillman, Stone Cold. Uh, that that uh, for the IC championship at SummerSlam, I'm absolutely 100 percent convinced of that. All right, that. so why though? Why 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 would why would he have replaced Owen Hart? Because who's the a who who had who who legitimate was the uh, Stone Cold's rival was uh, Brian Pillman, and who would have made the most sense for him to have his first title reign against Brian Pillman? So he beats at SummerSlam Brian Pillman for the IC championship, right? Does his little run that that uh, you know beats him again in a steel cage match or something, right? That, that so he does his run, five, sooner or later drops the title. That uh, that uh, and then who's dropping to? Um, I don't know. That 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 uh, that uh, drop it to anyone. <laughs> drop okay. it to Ken Shamrock. Who, okay. who knows? All right. That that uh, then he becomes the world champion. Then you have your you have your storyline of you took my IC title. So I'm gonna fucking take your world title. So Pillman, so Pillman comes back when Austin's a heavyweight champ. Absolutely, to to, that, to, to get a shot at the WWF title. Absolutely, that that uh, that that uh, also based on their history that they have with each other. Cheats to those hell with that uh, you know, he hits him with brass knuckles when the referee wasn't looking or whatever. That um, maybe even give him like Brian Pillman a, a like a, you know a staple or something. I don't know. Yeah. That 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 uh, that uh, I, I, I do picture... think Austin would chase. Brian, uh, uh, that uh, Brian Pillman. I I truly truly believe, Brian Pillman, that that uh, didn't die prematurely. He was going to be a superstar. I oh, absolutely. Ab- no, I I agree. He would have been a superstar. I think um, it would have been a traditional, a, a transitional champion to make Austin 
that that, that a, a bigger, bigger a bigger a bigger deal. Yeah. That uh, it's um, uh, like uh, like once uh, so called you know you know piece of shits out of out of Vince. Was Vince is gonna you know revenge to get it like you know biggest rival. You know what I mean? See, I could picture had Pillman that died prematurely. Like I said, I I. I I fully believe this that he would have been a big star and he would have been a big part of the Attitude Era I could picture Pillman being one of Austin's challengers for the heavyweight title and he was brought in at the request of Vince Mr. McMahon because Mr. McMahon if you remember after Austin won the belt he tried to clean up dude love and make Dude Love a corporate champion, and yeah. that didn't work out. And then he was like, "All right, well, I'm gonna go dirtier, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, enlist in Kane to do my dirty work." You know what I mean? Um, Kane and Paul Bear, who you know, was managed by Mankind at the time, and uh, or Mankind was part of that package as well. Um, so I can picture like a transitional phase where you know, Dude Love, let's say, doesn't get the job done, and Pillman gets slotted in and McMahon is only going with Pillman because he knows how crazy of a lunatic Pillman is even though he may not fit that corporate mold as a corporate champion he'll take a chance with Pillman because he knows Pillman could get the job done over Austin so um yeah I I I I think it would have been one of those situations where it was like maybe Vince would try you know Pillman would be a part of that process to eventually get to the point where Vince decides you know what I'm gonna go with Kane because he's a sure bet like Pillman is too unpredictable he's too much of a loose cannon I can't you know clean him up I can't make him be the corporate champion I want him to be and then maybe Pillman in a way you know gets fired from Vince or Vince tells him he wants nothing to do with him and the loose cannon Brian Pillman becomes an ally to Stone Cold Steve Austin yeah. in the fight against Vince McMahon and his corporate corporation. You know what I mean? Um, I can see something like that happening. Um, but Pillman, I, I, me personally, I can't see Pillman as the world champion. I know you can. I can't. You mean, I know you said transitional. I even think transitional is, 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 is slim at best. Especially given the fact that he was so limited in the ring because of his injuries later in his in his career. You know? Yeah, I'm thinking perfect world. No injuries. No, no injuries, no yeah. death. Okay, all right. Uh, that, yeah. that, uh, okay. Really going off the beaten path. I that, got you. That, that's all I right. Got you. That, 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 uh, in the perfect world. Yeah, I got you. That, um, that, uh, because he put the belt on, like, uh, I, I, shit, like, people are gaga for Shawn Michaels. And I get it. I wasn't a, uh, the biggest Shawn Michaels fan, as you can tell, and, but uh, Brian Pillman's the second. Uh, the 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 um, um, the best of Brian Pillman. I think he's equal or better better to Shawn Michaels. I really believe that. That that uh, and and his whole loose candy gimmick was fucking amazing. I I say why not put the champion the chip on him and have Stone Cold you know chase him that that uh, and eventually beat him you know. Yeah. I mean, perfect world, yeah. With 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 no injuries, yeah. I mean, loose cannon, yeah. I could see, yeah. As the as a champion, yeah. Perfect world, no injuries, hasn't passed away, yeah. I okay. kind of would I, love. I, I, I can kind of get behind that. You know what I love the the scene too, like um. So the um, let's just say the you know perfect world, Brian Pillman, that 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 uh, um, yeah. 
and you know the the loose cannon gimmick is starting to like you know uh, get a little bit stale, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think a, like a split personality gimmick would have been fucking amazing. I think it would have pulled but it Mick off. Mick Foley was like, already like, doing that. But, but like in a match where he he would be the flying uh, the the flying Brian uh, uh, gimmick, and you know someone punches him in the head hard enough, and then he just flips out like in a match. You know what I mean? That, uh, I so think it kind of like sets off a switch with him, yeah. Like mid match, they—that's not bad. They've been kind of doing that with Matt Hardy on AEW, where like he would be like, they, what they call it, Matt Hardy the first version. It's like oh, you know, God. it was like the V one. You remember yeah. Matt Hardy version one? So they've changed it to Matt Hardy the first version. Then it's Broken Matt. Then it's. Um, you know, original Matt Hardy, Hardy Boy. You know what I mean? Like he's done that in a couple of matches where he is kind of, um, he has metamorphosized into different versions of his character. Like even like, did you watch that that Stadium Stampede match? I never did see that. Okay. I heard, I heard he got dunked and like he was like getting drowned in water and he kept on. When they put him up with like a different gimmick. Or yeah, something. they did that. You know, with the 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 cinematic features and stuff like that, and that was kind of cool. Um, yeah, I can kind of see that with Pillman, given the fact that he had this, you know, loose cannon gimmick or whatever, the split personality. Yeah. Look at Pillman giving Luger a hell of a match. Yeah, great drop, kid. Yeah. Another another great hip toss into an arm drag. Wow. On a roll here. Yep. Luger. I, I, I was a Luger fan. Well, I, I mean, he has, a, yeah, he has the look. Yep. But, 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 uh, no. What, 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 what did you say? Have you made like a top 10 ish list of like some of the worst wrestling matches you ever seen? He'd be on him. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. He'd be on a few of them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I wouldn't doubt that. I mean, but at the same time, he uh, he's also. I think what saves him is some of the good stuff he's done. You know, the, the, the running out of the horseman, the matches he had with Ric Flair, you know. Um, I think even, be- even his stuff against the NWO. I think his best matches was against Ron Simmons. Like the, the, like the two out of three, the two out of three falls match I thought was the best Luger match I've ever seen. When was that? I'm trying to think. Um, was that Halloween Havoc? Was it? I don't know. I'm going to look that up now. Because uh, they wrestled at a Halloween Havoc when Luger was the heavyweight champ. Yeah, yeah, that that is a two out of three falls match, and uh, Luger uh, um, was it uh, came in as a champion and left as a champion, and uh, it was a two out of three falls match, and I'm like, wow, this is, but uh, that uh, I just remember uh, that uh, thinking that was the best like yeah. match. That's yeah, Halloween Havoc, 1991. You want to know what's on this show? Give it to me. The Chamber of Horrors match. Oh, there you go. Eligante Sting and the Steiner Brothers against Abdul the Butcher, the Diamond Stud, Cactus Jack, and Big Van Vader. It did. I think that match could have been could have been for uh, people remember for being so bad. But I think it could have been at least forgotten in time. We have to watch thing. this match. And we have to watch the show in two weeks. Absolutely. Halloween Havoc, nineteen ninety one. Let's do it. You want to do it? Yeah, sure. You know what else is on this crap card? Give it to me. Big Josh and PN News against the Creatures. Creature 1 and Creature 2. Don't know who the fuck they are. Yeah. Bill Casimir and Oz. Oh, the Oz. I, I, you know what made that character for me was Kevin Sullivan. When it's like, he was like the little like, would, yeah. the manager. 
Van Hammer and Doug Summers. Um, the Halloween Phantom of defeating Tom Zink. Oh, this is a great one. That was um, that was uh, Rick Rude. Yeah, Rick Rude. Yeah. And then the Enforcers, Arn Anderson and Larry Zbysko against the Patriots, Todd Champion and Firebreaker Chip. Oh, how did you forget about the Patriot when it comes to masks? Well, no, it's not the Patriots. I know, I know, it's, I know. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, yeah. the masks, yeah, that's a great point, yeah. yeah. Forgot about him. Maybe because he wasn't that good of a masked wrestler. That's true. <laughs> Although he had a decent run in Global. Would you say, um, we're talking about like worst wrestling matches. Would you say Bret Hart versus the Patriot was uh, Bret Hart's worst match? No. Bret Hart's worst wrestling match was against Bob Backlund at WrestleMania 11. Oh, good point. The I Quit match. How about non-gimmick uh, match? It wasn't really much of a gimmick. All you had to do was just say it. There was no, like, there was no, they didn't use weapons in the match. It was just the two of them wrestling. It was like a straight-up wrestling match, but they added the I Quit stipulation. Yeah. And, of course, that happened in Hartford. Too. Yeah. Hartford's got to fuck everything up, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, still, I know we had this conversation on this podcast, but I'm still, I'm still, by, the good Lord took me away today. I have to say Survivor Series, on that, and that was when this, there. We will Survivor watch Series 1990. We will watch that too. But it's my my personal opinion is the worst pay per view of all time. Okay. All right. So here's what we'll do. In two weeks, we will watch WCW Halloween Havoc 1991. We will we will spend two and a half to three hours. I'm all about shitting I'm, on everything that that show. Uh, you about. know me. I'm all about uh, the watching stuff that's so bad it's good. Okay. All right. I'm 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 really looking forward to that one. I'm really looking forward to that one. And, you know, you said Luger and Ron Simmons, two out of three falls for the heavyweight title. I like that. Title. I'm telling you, my mind. Okay. Best, best Life Luger match We are going to watch it. We are going to watch it. Yeah. In two weeks. Next week, we'll we'll, uh, we'll delve into the uh, the world of uh, face-painted wrestlers as we continue our Halloween theme. Um, talk about some of the more memorable and not-so-memorable face-painted wrestlers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll have some fun in a few weeks. Uh, Luger here making a bit of a comeback against Pillman. Oh, nice clothesline. Yeah, good selling. Too. Nice clothesline. Yeah. I'm digging it. I'm digging it. You know yep. what? You know why I don't know anybody like a sack of potatoes too. You know why I didn't like Lex Luger? So because Miss Elizabeth died. That uh, yes, that's one of them. no. Uh, I mean yes, but 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 I'm trying to get get. So one of the most difficult games of all time, and well, once you get the system, it wasn't so bad. But but it, you had to figure it out. What I'm getting at Mike Tyson punch out, and then uh, and Super Macho Man. That motherfucker was so hard. I think Super Macho Man was harder than Mike Tyson. <laughs> and, then, uh, and he looked exactly like Lex Luger. Oh yeah. And then, yeah. Okay, I vaguely remember that and now because uh, I played Mike Tyson punch out before. And, and, I and, and, so yeah, Super Macho Man for people who have not played Mike Tyson punch out or punch out. That it was the second to last guy, that that uh, and he was so fucking hard, that uh, and he had this one move where he like did like a spinning like like backhand punch, and if he hit you, it's on an automatic knockout. That uh, and and sometimes he would spin around nine times. You got to duck nine fucking times. Jesus! Uh, oh, I hated Super Macho Man. Oh man! Boom! Elbow drop by Luger. Well, on the subject, well, we might as well talk about it because I kind of brought it up. You know, like Luger also because Miss Elizabeth died. Miss Elizabeth was my very first, like, celebrity crush. Um, she might have been mine too, believe it or not. I, you know, I, she was beautiful. 
And even when I got older as a teenager, like she kind of like, you know, she had that like MILF quality to her. Um, oh, yeah. Was she like NWO? Was she went NWO? Yeah. yeah, she was with so Savage. Hard, yeah. And yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. She, she definitely... She, she she definitely was a, a a regular in the rotation if you know what I mean. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Um, but uh, um, yeah, the thing with Luger, man, that's that's rough. I mean, that to, to you know for that to happen. But you know what though, I, I'll give him this. He has owned it. Okay, he I give him that. He's right. owned it. You know, like I it was irresponsible. You know, with the things that we were doing, and I take responsibility for what happened when she had Pat. Like he owns it, you know what I mean. And he has talked about it. I mean, granted, he's a different person now. He's, you know, he, he's he's very religious based, and he does a lot of work with. He with, lost the, a lot which, of weight. Too. Well, he also lost a lot of weight too after he had the the issue with uh, paralysis. You yeah. know, he's he's practically confined to a wheelchair, um, but you know, he looks at that as like a blessing. And and he uses that as like a life lesson for like speaking engagements and and and, and things like that. Um, and like I said, very religious. Um, does a lot of traveling to do speaking engagements to churches and talk about you know t- talks to young athletes about uh, you know the importance of you know uh, not using performance enhancing drugs and what it did to his body. Um, I guess what happened was he had some sort of like I think it was a stroke on an airplane, and he was like in the air, and it was like a a long flight, and he lost, you know, feeling in his body while he was sitting in a plane, like on a commercial flight. It was crazy, um, and then that's when like everything changed for him. He went to religion, I believe he I believe you know. He, he went to Sting, who Sting's a born-again Christian as well, and he he um, he used uh, Sting's uh, you know connections to 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 meet up with you know people in the religious community and pastors and things like that, and he's really turned it around. I, I think personally, and I know he's your least favorite wrestler of all time, but I think personally, kind of all time, but he is up there. I think personally, he's he's definitely. He definitely deserves to go in the Hall of Fame. And you think he, even after the Elizabeth incident, huh? I don't think it's ever going to happen. It was an accident. He didn't do it intentionally. Okay? And he's owned it. Yeah. He's he's, he's, he's embraced it. Whoa! Did you just see... It's the sonic boom effect. <laughs> did you just see that? Pillman didn't even touch him. Luger sold it like he fucking nailed him. Yeah, the sonic boom effect. <laughs> I, wow. I, I say that I forgot what Nitro it was and what match it was, but me and my dad were watching a, 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 a nice a, Hangman by Luger there. That's the finish, isn't it? One, two, three. Damn, and, uh, that was a great match. Yeah. Match of the night right there, Luger and Pillman. Wow, yeah, that was a good one. That uh, I like that United States title too. By the way, better than the one that WWE just. I give one Creed. thing to WCW. I, 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 they had good-looking belts. They had great-looking belts. Yeah, they looked like championships. Yep. They weren't overly gimmicky. They looked like belts. Like They, they looked like a championship. Yeah, that was. they they made some good-looking titles. I forget who the belt and maker is, was. That, for, that, for what it, this was a great finish. It really was. Yeah. 
Boom. I always used to like this move. Steve Austin used to do that move, that stun gun. I used to always like that move. Now it's now it's a it's it used to be a finisher. Now it's a high spot. I don't even I don't even see it anymore. The Road Warriors. Yeah. Here we are, Hawk and Animal with Paul Ellering. And the Snitch, <laughs> Chris Cruz. Let's uh, let's play the audio for this Road Warrior promo. Can even the Road Warriors defeat the skyscrapers? Well, you know, we've been underdogs all our life. And there's some critics out there that think we're underdogs tonight. Well, the people out there aren't stupid. They know better. The skyscraper. Hey, who builds buildings, Paul? People do. And who tears them down? People do. Well, we're a couple of people who are going to reduce them to rubble. Snack on danger, die on death. Dead men don't make money. Tell them, Adam. You know, a lot of people in our sport today judge themselves on how much they can take by the hands of the road warriors. Not by anybody else, but by the Legion of Doom. That's why we're the number one team in professional wrestling and skyscrapers. You ain't gonna change that. All right, fans, let's go back to the ring now. Road warriors and skyscrapers live from Philadelphia. That's good. That's a good promo. That's pretty good. Who builds skyscrapers? People do. Who tears them down? People do. <laughs> Here we are. Big Sid and Dan Spivey. And Teddy with, Long? With Teddy Long. Yes, that is Teddy Long. Hey, Long Teddy Long's going to a million bucks. You saw that? That fan just shoved the shit out of Sid, and Sid turns around and spit on him. And they kick him for Sid. <laughs> oh, man. He's holding a golden key. I don't know what that's all about, but this is an impressive-looking team right here. Absolutely. I used to think they were a couple of bad-ass dudes right here. They eventually put Sid in the Horseman. Spidey, I think. I think what happened was they moved Sid out of the. If I'm not mistaken, they moved Sid out of the team and put him in the horseman and then they brought Mark Calloway mean Mark who would eventually become Undertaker to team with Spivey and then Spivey quit the promotion because Spivey just had enough and then mean Mark would get managed by Paul da Paul Paul Heyman Paulie Dangerously and then he would become, he would leave not long after, become Undertaker in WWF. So, so we see this, uh, looks like the Road Warriors came up from under the stage. And, and I mean, we talk about impressive looking. Look at these two here. Yeah. Just the shoulder pads, the spikes, the paint, like everything, man. That's why I loved it. I mean, yeah, no, do they always wear the... Uh... Um, from time to time they would it wasn't a regular thing I mean the, no, the, I'm talking about the, the shin guards right yeah the shin guards yeah, yeah 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 it wasn't a regular thing but I never but, saw that before I don't think they wore them every once in a while it wasn't all the time it's a nice touch I love it yeah I liked it too you know what I mean like people used to think demolition were like rip offs of the road warriors I never looked at it like that I love demolition I know I know but I I would agree with that I don't think they were ripoffs. I really don't. I, I I feel like. I mean, look. Let's 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 break it down for a minute. The Road Warriors here. All right, they got the funny mohawks, and the and the and the different face paint yeah. with the shoulder pads and the and the spikes, and then you got the shin guards, right? Okay. 
Demolition had the 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 the, the vests with the spikes and the 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 chaps with the spikes and then the jackets or no I'm sorry the helmets excuse me so they kind of they 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 added the you know the the spike element to their attire but then they had the masks that they took off and we've talked about that before on on last week's show you know would they've been yeah. better with masks or without and I think the masks helped the presentation you know those fucking masks for the toys the demolition toys are so damn expensive on eBay I've been trying to get my Hasbro's over here that got demolition with masks. The masks go for like 40, 50 bucks no a piece for way. one fucking mask. I just need four of them. That's it. I just need four and I'll be good. That would cost you uh, almost 200 bucks. Yeah. For fucking four toy masks to put on my demolition action figures. It's crazy. I looked one day and I was like, what? I was like, I'll give you 35 for the set. And the guy was like, 35 for the set? I'd get 40 each for these. I was like, you're fucking high. I'm not paying that much money. Yeah. I always go where the deals are. I will spend a little extra on some stuff. Or something about, th- is about the size of three inches. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's not good. But, we talk- uh, we talk- but here's the thing with, with the World Warriors, right? Yep. That, that, uh, let's say Demolition, for, for those people out there, that, 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 uh, um, but Demolition technically is not a ripoff of World Warriors, but, but, but they, I don't, they don't exist w- without them. But here's the thing. When you're a ripoff of a, uh, uh, of a rip, uh, when you rip some, so, so, so let's say the Demolition. The World Warriors were a ripoff of, of, of Mad Max. Of, yeah, Mad Max, yeah. Yeah. That, 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 so, 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 so it's like yeah, well, tomato, tomato, whatever. You ever watch the uh, that documentary on WWE Network on the Road Warriors? No. It's from like like two thousand and four, two thousand and five, maybe. It's old. I used to have the DVD, and the DVD was awesome because the extras on it were amazing. All the old matches, like stuff that they did with the Freebirds and the AWA, stuff they did in NWA, even WWE. Like they had like the the, the DVD was one of my favorites. I watched it a lot. The documentary is really good. If you go, you find it. Um, I think it's like the Life and Times of the Road Warriors, the greatest tag team in wrestling history, something like that. Um, and I bet you would agree with that. They interview Animal and they interview um, uh, Paul Ellering, um, and there's some great stories. It's a it's a really good DVD. And they interviewed uh, Barry Darsa, who played Smash from Demolition, because he grew up in the Minnesota area. He grew up with Hawk. In real life, they went, I think, to the same high school together. They were trained by Eddie Sharkey, uh, along with Rick Rude and a few other guys. So he's part of that Minnesota group. Um, so yeah, you should check it out on the network. It's in the documentary section. That's the. It's I think it goes for roughly two hours, but it's a pretty good. It's a pretty good documentary about them and how they grew up together and as the how they became a team and all these crazy stories about them. It's 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 pretty wild. Would you agree with the statement that, that, that to say is your favorite or whatever? As mentioned, Demolition. I could probably name five or six tag teams I like, like more than, than, than the World Wars. But what, but I can't can argue, and I would totally agree when they say it's the greatest tag team of yeah. all time. Yeah, we, we, we did the, one of the first shows you did with me was the tag team Mount Rushmore. Yeah, to put them in. And all three of us were like, easily, Road Warriors are at the top of that Mount Rushmore. Let's fill in the rest. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, so yeah, you can't argue their popularity. And I think what was great about them, too, 
I think what also makes them a the greatest tag team of all time was the fact that they were one of the first tag teams, if not the first tag team, that were a main event act. You know what I mean? Because tag team wrestling wasn't looked at as a main event. It was an attraction. Yeah. They made it into a big deal. You know what I mean? They made it into a, a, a main event attraction, uh, you know, uh, for a promotion. Um, so I think that's one of the key components that makes them the greatest tag team of all time. Not the amount of titles they held. I mean, they went everywhere. They were popular and they were on top everywhere they went. Okay. And there's very few acts in wrestling history that can say that, especially in the territory system. You could say Dusty, you could say Ric Flair, you could say, um, Shit, you, the list goes on and on. You can, you know, you can say Dusty, you can say Ric Flair, you can say Road Warriors, and a few others that went through all the major territories and drew money and were on top. The Road Warriors are that. They went to Georgia, they drew. The NWA, they drew. AWA, they drew. WWF, they drew. Like WWF, the WWF, they weren't the the top dogs. Per se, they weren't a main event. They weren't headlining shows, closing out pay-per-views as a tag team. But they were an act that was that was a very popular act, and dare I say, uh, a main event uh, in, in in most places. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's why they 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 get that moniker of like greatest tag team of all time. They were larger than life with the paint and the spikes, like you know. But they were also believable. They were real. You know what I mean? You looked at them and you were scared of them. You know, you were. You, you watch their stuff and you were like, ooh, that does hurt. Like, you know, like, so when you put them in there with, like, these formidable teams like the Skyscrapers, Doom, the Steiner Brothers, etc., the Samoans, you know what I mean? Like, they're these, like, super clashes of these, you know, two huge forces, you know? It's, yeah, it's it's, it's unreal. Um, and talk about main eventing as a tag team that, uh, WWEF at the time, of course, that, that, that uh, um, booked uh, Legion Do properly, and that uh, David Demolition could easily uh, made a bet in a pay per view. We, we we talked about that, okay? We we talked about that um, briefly um, during the SummerSlam 1990 watch party with Justin when we were talking about the missed opportunity. Because as a kid, I always felt that Road Warriors and Demolition were going to be like a pay-per-view main event, or not even a main event, but a big pay-per-view match at like a Royal Rumble or a WrestleMania. And it never happened. It was like blown off on like a Saturday night's main event. And it was a part of a six-man with Ultimate Warrior. And it was just very like thrown together. Um, I honestly, as a, going back and remembering as a kid, when they announced the card for... Oh, Jesus. <laughs> See, I used to love Sid Sidewinder Powerbomb. That was he used good. to like helicopter spin the guy. That shit was fucking badass right there. Um, as a kid, when they announced that Survivor Series card in 1990, and the only reason why I knew that card was announced was through the magazine when they would put the pictures up of the teams. The first, pi- the first picture showed... Ultimate Warrior, Texas Tornado, and the LOD versus Mr. Perfect and Demolition. Because Warrior was the champ. The second one below that was Hogan's team versus Earthquake's team. You know what I mean? I thought that Ultimate Warrior's team and Mr. Perfect's team with Road Warriors and Demolition on each side were going to be a part of 
the main event at Survivor Series. And we obviously all know how that all went down. We will watch that. That's going to be another pay-per-view that we're going to watch. Because the 30th anniversary is coming up next month. And you said it's the worst pay- one of the worst pay-per-views of all time. And you were there. Yeah. So we got to watch I it. I got to say it's number one. We got to watch it. Yeah, we, we, we will definitely watch it. Um, I still believe the most... And people say it's The Undertaker's debut, whatever. I, that that uh, I, and when, when the most memorable moment is a fucking giant turkey you know you have an issue yeah that was that was pretty rough uh, that, that was pretty rough for sure um and the fact is that there was like no real grand plan as to what was going to be in that you know what i mean like we all thought it was gonna be this amazing fucking thing yeah and actually i remember me and my sisters my uncles my dad at that that uh, yeah it was my dad my two uncles and two out of three of my sisters so and me. So what's the big man? Six people. Yeah. Uh, that, that we're all jamming his little car. And we're just talking about the fucking egg the whole time. And then... Lord, and then, lo and behold. Lo and behold. It's a fucking giant fucking turkey. The gobbly gooker. Or the gockily goober. Is that what you... That's what you called yeah. it. <laughs> the gockily goober. Ugh. Yeah. That was rough. That was, that was rough, man. I, I, I will admit. I was like, oof. But, um... Yeah, that's rough, too. That, that clothesline yeah. by Sid... I forgot this match. I, honestly, I thought that Sid wasn't our... I, I thought that uh, Spivey was teaming with me and Mark by this point. I didn't know that, that Sid was still a member of the Skyscrapers. I honestly did not know that. Yeah. But um, very well, impressive looking team. Yeah, I'd much love The Undertaker. Uh, these two were the better as does the two. Yeah, they were. Um, but, you know, Undertaker's presence in that team wasn't bad either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he looked like a big dude. He looked like a skyscraper, you know? Isn't it crazy just how... I mean, I was talking about The Undertaker. Isn't it crazy? It's just like... Uh, if WCW saw people's potential, Undertaker, Steve Stone Austin. Cold, that, uh, yeah. All these fucking guys, they just let go. That, uh, Pillman. Yeah, Pillman. That, that, uh, it just boggles if my they mind. they never let Ric Flair leave in 1991. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's crazy. Know. It's a lot. Of, a lot of that has to do with mismanagement with people that weren't. You know, it was owned by a big corporation that that owned a television network that owned a, a, a baseball team. You know, Turner. You know, owned a basketball team, and you know, it was a the people within the corporate structure of Turner were not wrestling fans. They hated it, and they had only kept. They only tolerated it is because the owner Ted Turner was a big wrestling fan they reaped the benefits when the company made them money but when the company would lose money they'd be the first to be like oh we gotta get rid of wrestling Yeah. but they would put people in charge that had no business being in charge of wrestling like during this era it's 1989 I think this was the Jim Hurd being the Jim Hurd it has to be and Jim Hurd, for those of you out there that um, are listening that aren't familiar, Jim Hurd was, uh, he worked um, within uh, Turner Corporation. He was a, um, a regional or a district manager for Pizza Hut before this. And Hurd's only wrestling experience was, was that he was a television manager at a local TV station in St. Louis or Kansas City that produced um, 
St. Louis Wrestling, I think. Or Kansas City, one of the two territories. Oh, the Golden Key. <laughs> oh, now we got artist. the bell. Yeah. That's a DQ. I, I actually agree with this finish. That, that uh, As much as I hate, like, like, you know, when you get a good match, I would like to see, like, like you know. But they're also two bruising teams. It yeah, looks you, like they protect, were gonna, you had to protect both You teams. had to protect both teams. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you had to. So, um, I, I agree with this finish. I don't mind the finish at all. Yeah. Because it looks like there's more to come. You know what I mean? And it would make sense that, you know, two big lugs like the skyscrapers would try to they don't care about wins and losses. They just want to hurt, you know, the Road Warriors. You know what I mean? Hawk making his way. Now, does he have the golden key? No, nope. him and Sid are fighting oh, over the go. golden key. We think wins in a real fight between Hawk and Sid. I think Hawk. I think he might be right. I think Hawk. Sid, Sid looked uncoordinated trying to fake fight. You think he'd be coordinated in a real fight? Well, it takes one punch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a good point, but still. I just remember this one bar. I'm trying to think, it was Chad, Chad Bar in Providence. I, I did, uh, when I when I when I went to Johnson Wales for a hot second. That uh, oh yeah, you went Johnson Wales. I yeah, I yeah. went to Johnson Wales. Uh, you know, people who know me that that uh, that uh, would know. Shockingly enough, I flunked out. That uh, true story. That that that, that um that um I'm going flying off the rails again, but uh. That, that uh, my, my blood alcohol is higher than my GPA. That's a quick story. <laughs> That's a quick story. I, I think that was the same with mine, too. That, that, uh, I, I had a D, my brief I can tell you, college. a D minus, two Fs and a withdrawal will give you a GPA of 0.22. That, 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 uh, and, and I can tell you, if you're a scrawny, 140-pound lad that has about seven shots of whiskey and about four or five beers in the co- like in two hours... And the, yeah. cop, the cops do a raid and, and, and blow, and you they blow, you're going to have a t- uh, 0.24 blood alcohol. But so, so yes, but so, so when I told that story, so someone was smarter than me, they go, wait, 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 Dennis, your GPA is 0.22, and your blood alcohol is 0.24. Your fucking blood alcohol is higher than your GPA. <laughs> It's like, oh. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm trying to say that. I was at the, at the bar, Chad's, and where there was bar fights all the time. And you'd be shocked how many times that the littler guy, or the guy you thought he was for sure going to get his ass kicked, won. Yeah. Because they just got, got the guy. One the, good the, shot. One good shot. Yeah, I've yeah. seen it too. I mean, you know, that's. I, I've had arguments with other wrestling fans about that theory, okay? I, you know, for instance, you know, my old colleague, uh, Ken Reedy from the Ken Reedy show, he was very much a proponent of like the bigger, more muscular wrestlers. They were more believable than like the smaller guys. You know, he wasn't really big on, you know, the Daniel Bryans and the, the, the Benoit's and the Guerrero's and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And I used to go back and forth with him about stuff like that, you know, um, and I used to do. I used to deliver the analogy of the 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 smaller guy, and I would say, you know, for years, I worked as a bouncer in a bar, and I can't tell you how many times I've seen fights with littler guys that you know are scrappy enough that they get the best of some of those big guys, or they or they hand them their ass. You know what I mean? And so, I would tell him, I'm like, dude, I'm like, how many of these UFC guys? are 
over six feet and 300 pounds, you know? A lot of them are smaller guys that could fucking kill us or kill any big guy, you know what I mean? And then I would tap into the wrestling realm and be like, oh yeah, and I would I would say to him, like, this is why I believe that like a smaller guy could get the best of a bigger guy at times. And I would go back to like when Eddie Guerrero beat Brock Lesnar and even though Goldberg got involved and when Chris Benoit won the title and, you know, the Daniel Bryan thing. And, you know, he didn't really buy it so much. But me, on the other hand, I just was like, I I, I bought into the idea of a smaller guy. Um, who the fuck is this? Well, this is Muda here with Gary Hart. Yeah. But who's the guy with them that's walking backwards? Backwards? Oh, yeah, you see him? Oh, yeah. Who the fuck is that? Walking backwards. I thought for a second there was Mr. Hughes, but no. I thought that, uh, yeah. Or I thought that was uh, Big Bubba Rogers, but, you know. Oh, yeah, Big boss, Bubba. Boss, boss Man was in WWF at this time. Yeah. I don't know who this guy is. But, um, yeah, I used to go back and forth and with just, him. I'd be like, like, dude, a smaller guy has a, definitely has a chance. All it takes is one good shot. You know what I mean? You could knock a big guy off his ass, you know? Yeah. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't really buy into that. He used to always say, he goes, if wrestling were real, Big Show or Brock would be the champ. because, And he based it on their size. And, you know, it's hard not to argue that point. But at the same time, it's like, well, one of those guys could get knocked on their ass by one good shot from a smaller guy. Yeah. It's possible. I'm trying to think, who was that USC fighter? Like, like early 2000s, was, uh, Japan, a big African-American. Af- Bob Sapp. Yeah, Sapp. Warren uh, Sapp's brother. Then, um... He he would fight these little Japanese guys. But those guys would fucking and fucking wreck them every yeah. time. And, uh, the, the, he wasn't the most skilled fighter. And he he would literally get punched in the head so many times he'd tap out. That that uh, I always thought that was the most. Hum- that, 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 if you really want to humiliate your opponent, punch him so many times that he taps out. Yeah. <laughs> that um, but yeah, that that uh, those Japanese dudes just wrecked them. Yeah. Because they're more skilled than him. Yeah. He just relied on his size and some and his strength to some degree. Terry Funk, great Muda here with Gary Hart, Bruno San Martino, the guest referee, ready to take on Sting and Ric Flair in the Thunderdome cage. Um, this, I, was, this was my first time seeing Ric Flair as a good guy, and I had a, had a lot of trouble believing that, even as a kid. It's a tough sell. Yeah. With Ole Anderson, who Ole Anderson to me looks like a mean old man. Yeah. And he has a reputation in real life for being a mean yeah, old man. Yeah, especially as a trainer, yeah. But, you know, he he did not look like someone that, like, as a youngster, I would buy into being a good guy, per se. And this was, I think, right around the time where they were trying to introduce Sting as a horseman. Which was another tough sell for me, given yeah. the fact that Flair was a... Is a was a was a renowned bad guy for a long period of time. I just couldn't buy into it. I yeah, really couldn't. It, that one of the great greatest feuds of all time was Flair Sting. Yeah, I mean it was the it was the rivalry that put Sting on the map. Yeah, what was it? Uh, what year was it? Was it with Clash of the Champions? Eighty-eight with yeah. the match they ever went with time limit draw. It was the very first clash yeah. that went head to head with WrestleMania four. What was the deal with those judges? I never got that. I never that was, was the, that. That was just designed to to do the finish the way it was, so that you can protect the champion in Flair and obviously protect Sting, 
who was... Um, I would have first wanted to admit, I, 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 the first time I ever saw that match was like 15 years ago-ish. Yeah. At that, that, uh, and, and I just knew, like, like if I saw it as a kid, I'd be like, whatever, you know? I would not think of it. But as an adult, you're just like, three dudes, it's going to be a draw. I got fucking got two gr- a girl and two dudes. Uh, yeah. And the girl you could tell already uh, was, was infatuated by Ric Flair. You knew that she was gonna vote for Flair, and and, and one person was gonna uh, vote, for vote for Sting. Sting. And you know, it's not, and the so third that, guy was gonna, gonna be decided. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was all done designed to. Well, a great match. It, made it was Sting, a great match. It, it, it made, made Sting a star. Exactly. It made yeah. Sting a star. It protected Flair as the champion, and it made it also made you want to see them go at it again. Um, and I think, you know, th- I, I think eventually they were going to face each other again. They had Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard not left the company and went to WWF. Yeah. Um, they would go to WWF in the fall of 88 um, after an, a dispute with money because um, they felt that, you know, they got stiffed on a payout for a huge show. Um J.J. Dillon made more money than the both of them combined for that one show, according to Tully Blanchard in a shoot interview I once saw. Um, so they left. They gave their notice, and they went to WWF. And I have a feeling if they didn't give their notice and they still stayed, we probably would have seen more of Sting and Flair. And I think that's another reason why they paired Sting with Flair, because they needed something. They needed to plug a hole in where Anderson and Blanchard were yeah, you know where they were originally. And that's why they made Sting a horseman. Um, when did they do? Uh, and it wouldn't be long after this match where Arn Anderson would return to the company, and the horseman would be Flair, Sting, Ole, and Arn. Uh, and that's how you would set up the Starcade match, or not the Starcade match, the um, the match for the title that would eventually culminate at Great American Bash in 1990. When did um? At that, uh, um, the star, the the dark, um, the sting, the um, crow sting, um, you know when uh, um, oh shit, what what am I, what am I trying to think? So, I don't know. You know they they had like the um, uh, where work flare came out. Uh, Black scorpion. The, the Black scorpion. Thank you. Okay. There and you then, go. Then, uh, there you go. Black what, scorpion. What, what did that happen? That happened in. 1990. So, Sting beat Flair at the um, at the Great American Bash in 19 in 1990. Became the World Heavyweight Champion. Look at Muda with that face He's paint. Awesome. We're gonna talk about him next week. He's so sure. fucking awesome. We're gonna talk about him for sure next week. Um, Sting beat Flair Great American Bash 1990. Which, by the way, if anyone's interested, there's a recap of that show that I did recently in Blind Date Diaries form. Uh, you can find that in the archives. At Retromania with a W, um, and uh, not long after that, they started doing this Black Scorpion angle, and this Black Scorpion would follow Sting, and he was someone from Sting's past, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And they um, they would kind of hint on TV that could it be Ric Flair? Could it be the Horseman playing? A, you know a, a a trick on Sting, um, that this Black Scorpion was, you know, stalking Sting for months on end, and at the same time, Flair and Anderson would be in a rivalry with Doom, 
Okay. And by this point, Barry Windham was already in the Horseman. I think Ole was a manager and Sid was a part of the Horseman too. And so, um, um, the original idea for the Black Scorpion, from what I heard, was supposed to be Al Perez from World Class Fame. And he was supposed to, and he was once managed by Gary Hart. And Al Perez did not want to do a job to sting. And so they pulled him out of the role, and that's when they plugged Flair in. And that's pretty much the the end of the black score. It, it was it was silly. As a kid, I was like, "Oh my god, this is cool! Like this dark, mysterious figure nobody knows of. Like this is so cool." Um, but it didn't turn out that way. And then they had to put Flair in the role because they needed they needed to make up for. What, I don't know. I think anything would have been better than Flair. Terry Funk here. He's a fucking wild man. Look at him. <laughs> What's he doing? He's like. Testing out the cage, but he's like bridging himself in between the rope and the cage. And this is the thunder. What? <laughs> you see oh, that? Yeah. Look at this. <laughs> and they had that fireworks. Oh my goodness. The pyro lit the. F- <laughs> I didn't see that before. I didn't I, see that. No. I've never seen <laughs> Oh, Jesus. And look, Terry Fox can go up there and put the fire on himself. Look at him. What the fuck? Did he did it? Oh my goodness! I never knew that. And the camera was directly on them too. See, look at Muda. He's oh, he's in the mist. <laughs> he just sprayed the green. Mist. And I was gonna see. You know what I love about Muda? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! This is hilarious. That's hilarious. I hope he didn't waste that. I hope that. Was, I hope he's got more for the match. Maybe. But I love that 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 Muda that that had different. Um, um, mist, and, and each one had different effects. Yeah, like the green one, I think just blinded you. Yeah, if he did the black one, that was like his poisonous one where you're totally fucked. Yeah, the black one, yeah, yeah, the black one, the green one blinded you. It's kind of blinded you. The black one really blinded you. I think it was supposed to be poison or something, wasn't it? I possibly, the, yeah, the gimmick. Possibly, there's a third one too. I forget. I think it was a red mist. Maybe yeah, red. Yeah, I, think I know a, black was the worst one. Yeah, but the the green was the most common one. Yeah. And this is a standard tag team match inside this Thunderdome cage. Um, I think the match is won by pinfall submission or if your corner man throws in the towel. Uh, hence the reason for Gary Hart and Ole Anderson's involvement in the match. Um, but yeah, this really started at Wrestle War in May of '89. Flair beat Steamboat to become the champion, <laughs> and Terry Funk was the guest commentator with Jim Ross. And Funk attacked Flair post match and gave him the pile driver through the table, which was the ugliest pile driver through a table I'd ever seen. And then they were off to the races. Um, they would be involved in a series of matches. Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there was a controversial angle at the September 12th, 1989 Clash of Champions where Terry Funk, it was a, the match was originally scheduled to be Funk and Muda against Flair and Sting, but Funk wasn't at the arena, so they replaced him with Dirty Dick Slater. Funk would make a run-in at the end of the match and take, at the end of the match, excuse me, that was easy to say, and take a plastic shopping bag and put it over Flair's face. And it was so controversial that they didn't replay that spot because people within TBS were offended by it. Do you remember that? Um, no. Okay. I, I heard of it. Yeah. That, uh, I, and I kind of agree when, when like, you know, that, that, that day wrestling, 
target audience might be children. So, yeah. so see, the, the need to draw a line yeah, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So then this match was made official inside the Thunderdome cage. Um, and Bruno was obviously slotted in to, to sell tickets because he was a you know big name at the time. And um, he was, uh, I believe this was kind of an introductory role with him in the company. I think they were bringing him in not just to be the referee, but I think also at one point he was kind of like an advisor. Or they were thinking of using him as an advisor. Um, but uh, I don't know what happened there. Um, following that, Terry Funk is great. Oh yeah, that that uh, that um, one of the better Hogan feuds. I get lost in times, Funk and Hogan. That uh, I remember them having some matches. Saturday Night's main event. It was a few really things, good yeah. matches. Yeah, and it gets lost in time. Man, I'll have to go back and watch those because I I remember them as a kid, but I haven't watched them. In a while. And there's a spot. I think it was the Saturday Night Main event, event spot, too, where for a half, a half, a half a second, you thought he was going to be the world champion. Ho, ho, uh, Funk? Yeah. Okay. I'll have to check that out. I think he hit him with a boot or something, and, and Hogan really sold it. And, yeah. And, anyway, I forget. I think he hit him with a boot and it gave him a pod driver, and you're just like, holy shit, he's going to win! And Yeah. But, but yeah, that, I thought that was a very underrated uh, um, rivalry. But just Funk, just everything he, even when he was like 90 years old in the ECW, everything he touched <laughs> turned to gold. So what's he now if he was 90 then? Oh, God. <laughs> I'll say this much, though. I saw a picture of him recently. You know, he finally, you know, he's letting it go gray. Yeah. Um, he actually looked pretty good. Um, still kind of keeping the long hair. He's losing more of it up top. Um, but, uh. He looked pretty good. I know that he's had some health issues in, in recent years uh, that has prevented him from traveling. He was supposed to do a couple of conventions, um, and unfortunately he had to pull out because of his health. Uh, so, uh, you know, um, obviously he's not, you know, he, he finally realizes, you know, he can't take the bumps anymore. Last time I think he wrestled was like, um, shit, I forget Is where. Is he wrestling? No, he's not. He hasn't, wrestled. he hasn't wrestled in years. I want to say the last time he wrestled was like 2006, 2007 maybe. But he might have done some like one-offs, you know, and some... Because his uh, unofficial retirement match was against uh, uh, Bret Hart, right? Yeah, that was one of his retirement matches. How many times that guy's retired <laughs> and made money off retirement matches? He retired in Japan in like 83. That was a huge deal. Then he retired again in like 97 with Brett. That was a huge deal. Then he came back a year later, not even a year later, months later, the team with Foley as Chainsaw Charlie. You know what I mean? Oh, good point. He went to WCW yeah. and he was a part of that, you know. The, uh, but then people thought that that was going to be his legitimate retirement though against Bret Hart. A lot of people did, yeah, because you know why? Because he managed to get guys from WWF, WCW, and ECW all on the same card. Think about that. In 1997, in the height of the the, the, the Monday Night Wars and the, the, the Attitude Era, so to speak, you know, when WCW with Nitro and Raw and then you had ECW, the little engine that could... He managed to get all these promoters to agree to... Mankind wrestled Sabu on that show. And granted, WWF and ECW had a working relationship at that time, but... They let their one of their top Vince McMahon let one of his top guys work with Sabu on an indie show. 
Think about that. Yeah. You know, I forget who else was on that show, WCW-wise. I'll have to take a look. Let me look that up, too, while we're... Is, is there any uh, DVD or anything that... that, that uh... I never saw that that, that event. The, I know that the match with him and Brett is on the network in the Hidden gem section. Okay. Yeah, you can find that match. Maybe the event. I'm not quite sure. Um, I would love to watch that event. Yeah. And it happened in what? Texas, right? Yeah, it was in Texas. Um, it was in Amarillo. It was at like a... Um, the Tri-State Fairgrounds, September the 11th, 1997. Um, Wing Kanamura... Defeated Roadkill in 5 minutes and 59 seconds. ECW TV champion Taz defeated Chris Candido via submission. Shark, I can't even pronounce his last name, or is it a she, pinned Lady Kuga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's, 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 uh, actually, for for anyone that's looking for a good woman's match, uh, um, oh, I just pronounced her name. But anyway, that uh, she normally is in a tag team. Anyway, look him up. She's good. Um, Sandman fought Bubba Ray Dudley, who substituted for Balls Mahoney to a no contest. Um, Balls Mahoney then pinned Bubba Ray Dudley after at six minutes in another impromptu match. Mark and Chris Youngblood with Rick Romero defeated the Bushwhackers at 10 minutes and 20 seconds. Shane Douglas pinned Tommy Dreamer. Dory Funk Jr. pinned Rob Van Dam. Mankind defeated Sabu. Here's an interesting one. Hayabusa, Masato Tanaka, and Jinsei Shinzaki defeated Jake the Snake Roberts and the Headhunters. And then in the main event... That's an interesting combination. Yeah, <laughs> that is. And then in the main event, Bret Hart defeated Terry Funk in 25 minutes and 7 seconds um, by lifting his shoulder out of a back suplex into a bridge that was deemed Funk's retirement match. And he was awarded an ECW Lifetime World Championship belt by the ECW contingent before the match. Um, so I guess there wasn't any WCW guys. I was wrong. But still... A lot of those guys, WWF and the ECW guys working on the same show together. Yeah. It was wild. I mean, that was how big of a deal Terry Funk's retirement was. Um, that they were able to do that. Then, uh... Is the referee going to get control of this match? Is, is there rules to this match? And they had, like, a tag format, but now I guess it's... I mean, granted, it's in a cage, so yeah. I wouldn't expect there to be rules. But, Jesus, if you're going to have a referee in there, then at least impose some kind of rules. You know? Or is he just there to fucking direct the traffic and make sure that, you know, things are going according to plan? I don't know. Not long after this match, there would be a clash of champions with Terry Funk and Ric Flair in the infamous New York knockout I quit match. Have you ever seen that one? I don't think so, no. That's a really good match. That's a really good match. Clash of Champions, November 1989. New York Knockout. Ric Flair, Terry Funk. From Troy, New York, I believe it took place. And and so what, what's the... Uh, I'm assuming that's a stipulation. Yeah, as I quit. The, okay. And I think it was for the world title. And I think... Oh, I might, I might have seen that. Yeah. But I'm great and I... I seen... Um, um, Ric Flair made uh, Funk submit a million times so maybe yeah. I'm getting confused I don't know oh yeah I mean yeah they wrestled a bunch of times you never know when they could have uh, yeah they tried to recreate that magic in 2000 when Flair and Funk wrestled each other in WCW at the Super Brawl pay-per-view they tried to recreate the I quit stipulation with them and obviously this was this was uh, you know this might have been Vin no Vince Russo wasn't booking at the time I think it was Kevin Sullivan and J.J. Dillon were booking 
and that was right before they brought Russo back and with Bischoff and the whole Millionaire's Club thing. But they had Funk and Flair in an I Quit match, and it just didn't didn't have that same magic, obviously. I'd be the first one to admit, and I'm proud of this. Proud of this. Mid '99, I said sorry, no words to WCW. Yeah, a lot of people did. In fact, I might have even not watched it as much. I kept I kept track of it, but I wasn't like glued to the TV like I used to be. I think it was. I mean, I'm I'm guessing that's because of the finger poke of doom, right? No, it was just the product is just getting worse. And yeah. Worse and worse and worse. And yeah. Then, um, and and and, I, and the only time I I I I I pick my head out to to WCW, I want to say it's two thousand, and that's all the Oklahoma. Uh, uh, and I said I'm done. Yeah. I I I, I I'm yeah. just done. I don't blame and, you. And I, and I was reading. The, I'd be the first to admit I'm 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 wrestling nerds. So it says I'll it says I'll read the magazines. I'm like I'm not missing anything. Yeah. No, but, you uh, weren't. You weren't. I mean, I watched I, because I was. And I'm proud fan. of this stat actually. During probably late '98 ish is when I officially became more of an ECW guy than anything. Okay. And that then. Uh, then and then, but the granted, the same thing happened to ECW around late two thousand, where their product got real fucking shitty. Yeah. It said uh, when Paul Heyman checked out, I uh, that that like uh, everyone else. Yeah. Did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's a safe. But ooh, look at this! Wow, Funk taking the bumps on that cage. I gotta say, probably the most heartbreaking wrestling happened like in two thousand and one. Like uh, ECW was either gone or dying. Uh, their last, WCW, their, their last official, yeah. WCW, um, it was was uh, gone or dying. They were circling the drain. And WWS probably absolutely was fucking horrid. That 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 uh, that uh, I think you can argue, in my opinion, two thousand and one was the worst year in wrestling history. <sighs> uh, I mean, it was the end of you know the the, the glory years. You could say the end of the attitude era. You could say you know the end of obviously with ECW shutting down in January of two thousand and one, and then WCW closing its doors a few months later, and WWF being the only game in town. And I think you take WWF. Uh, it, was, it wasn't the best, but I will, say, I will say I, the, I think it was. I will say nineteen ninety five. And 1993 are a close tie for the worst years in wrestling. From a product standpoint, nobody was putting out good wrestling. There's some hidden gems in there. Yeah. But overall, if I had skipped 93 and 95, I'd have been all right with it. Now, looking back now, as a kid, I felt like I I couldn't miss it. Just because it was wrestling. What do you think is your favorite match of 95? My favorite match of 1995? Yeah. 1995 wrestling, my favorite match. Ooh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, I'm trying to think of the top of my head. Was Diesel, uh, Bret Hart, was, was that 95? That was Survivor that Series. That probably would be my favorite match. That's close. Look at this. Flair with the rope. Because I, I don't keep, Doing I, the Tarzan gimmick. What the fuck? Some people say it's Razor Ramon. Um... Um, Shawn Michaels ladder no, no. match. Yeah, that might be it for me. That might be the match for me in 1995. That was, it was pretty good. WCW didn't have a whole lot going for them at that time in 1995. Although they had a few hidden gems too. I liked Hogan and Vader, 
from Super Brawl that year. That was, that was pretty good. Um, ooh, ugh. Look at that big old booger hanging out <laughs> Terry Funk's nose. Yep, wow. Bad, He's hung upside down. Cave. Look at this shit. Look at that fucking nonsense. They, they dress the cage up like that. Yeah. I like it, though. I, like I said, I'm always a, a big at gimmicks. Yeah, it's not bad. But I mean, it was pretty funny when that when, when, when that, the, the fire went out. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah, that was that was that was pretty clever. They're gonna use the rope again. And us under the ring. Now, if I remember correctly, as a kid, if I'm not mistaken, I think there was elements of this cage where it was like you could get electrocuted, or at least they advertised oh, right. you could get electrocuted. Yeah. I don't remember. I could be wrong. They should have given me that like that. I could be wrong. What's he doing? Oh, see, Sting's getting out of the cage now. And I and, and and if I recall, if I remember correctly, I think they also advertised this match that like you can't get out, even though there is a hole to yeah. get out of this cage. They advertised it like you cannot leave. There's not an escape method. Maybe if you left the ring, you automatically got got DQ'd or something. No, I mean, like, leaving the cage cage, going up over the cage, like, and out, you know? Okay. But then there were matches like that where it's like, you can, if, if you're getting beat up so bad, if you left, you uh, you lost the match too, like... I don't know. I don't know. I vaguely remember something like that, I don't know. I remember one time it was during the, 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 the Vince Russo era of WCW where Kevin Nash had a match with, oh, shit, I forget who it was. I think he was feuding with Scott Steiner, and he had a match with Rick Steiner. Oh, that was pretty cool right there. <laughs> Sting using the rope, Tarzan style, and Terry Funk. And the match was a straitjacket match. And the object of the match was you had to put your opponent in a straitjacket. And the only way to win was when you told the referee you were done beating the guy up. Which kind of had like a cool element to it. Like, all right, I'm done kicking your ass now. I won. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but it, it didn't really have that desired effect Muda back in now looks like he's got another missed oh he's got a kick to the back of the head oh yeah, Sting missed this time finally yeah is Funk gonna tie his leg yeah he's gonna tie his leg oh about some about time someone came up with that idea and then uh and then uh Whew, man he was so he was so solid. Here's a theory that I've I've heard. Okay, Jim Ross on his podcast. They've they've covered a fair amount of WCW from this year, 1989, and they might have recapped this show. He mentioned that um, during this era, not only him but a few other people on the booking committee had threw the idea out there of turning Muda into a babyface and challenging Flair for the title, especially when Sting got hurt and injured his knee. I guess. What do you think about a babyface great Muda? I wouldn't be my favorite, that's for sure. Really? You don't think it would have worked? Maybe. Ross claims that when the idea was presented to him, or when he presented the idea to, I believe, Ole Anderson was on the booking committee at the time, and Jim Hurd, uh, I think like I think Terry Funk was on the booking committee as well. Flair might have been on it. The idea was presented to him that um, 
that uh, Muda, you know, he presented the idea of Muda being a baby face. The first thing that they went to was the language barrier. He can't speak English, just not going to work. And you can always give him to, um, a manager. Yeah, he's really tied up in there, isn't he? Look at that. Oh, now Muda put hands on Bruno. Oh, no. Is there double team and flair? Let's play the audio for this. I don't know. He's climbing. I don't know. Yeah, because he was like, "Oh, he's gonna touch the wire. The electric. He's gonna electrify me." Fried wonton. Like <laughs> they just climb back down. Because yeah, I don't know what that was about. I don't know if there was a miscommunication with a spot. I don't know. That uh, that, that that was just bizarre to me. That yeah, that was a little bizarre to me too. But I was kind of I was right. I was like questioning. Like, didn't they advertise that this cage could like electrocute you if you touch certain parts of it? You know and Ross confirmed it when Muda was climbing up to the top. That I guess there's part of it that you can. There's a wire or something. I don't know. But never really uh, got behind the the advertising of the electrified cage. Is it? Oh, are we here? Are we at the finish? Muda looks like he's in trouble. Bunk's definitely in trouble. And this has got to be it. It's gonna look so I guess the deal fun. is you got, like I said, you got to throw in the towel. Now Gary Hart's waving his hands over there, saying, "I'm not throwing it in. I'm not throwing it in." Sting with the stinger splash. Oh, that's a, a towel that's in. Yeah, okay. yeah. He's not. Yeah, he's not throwing it in. You can see in the bottom there. It's Funk's yelling at him. Throw the towel. Throw the towel. Yeah, they're just punishing Funk until he goes to throw uh, the towel. Move it, move it back up though. Here, let's play the audio. Ooh. Flair has got the figure four locked in so deep. There's only 
had to rear its face, though. It wasn't like he actually threw it. He had punched. Yeah, he got punched, and it landed on Bruno's back, and then Ole brought it to his attention. Yeah, that's and, and that's the that's the end of the match right there. That's the finish. Ric Flair and Sting are your winners over Terry Funk and uh, the Great Muda in the Thunderdome cage match. Um, and your first ever Halloween Havoc. The very first ever Halloween Havoc here. This was a lot of fun, Den Man. I, yeah. I, I'm glad you picked this one. Before we go, then uh, I, did, I, I must have been falling asleep behind the wheel. But who was the champion for Flair? Flair? Flair was a champ. Yeah, they didn't have the, 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 the title wasn't on the line in this match. Um, but uh, they were, um, you know, Flair would eventually defend it against. Uh, um. Uh. What? Yeah. There's a the guy holding the belt right there, the the, the belt holder. Uh, he would eventually defend it against Funk in the the Clash of Champions in that match, and then uh, Starcade later that year they would do that Iron Man tournament where it was like a tournament of tag teams and a tournament of singles wrestlers, and Sting would defeat Flair, and that's what would set up um, the rivalry. Even though they were like had respect for each other, and even though Sting was a horseman, he beat Flair, which guaranteed him a shot at the title. And then that's how they eventually would turn Flair. It was a it was a tool to get Flair to turn heel on 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 Sting, and the horseman would dump Sting because that whole horseman you know Sting thing just didn't do it for me. I wasn't I didn't believe that Sting was a horseman. You know what I mean? It was just kind of silly if you ask me. Yeah. Kind of like this finisher. <laughs> it was a lucky finish, but it was to protect everybody. Yeah, I mean, what are you gonna do? I mean, Funk Funk never quit. It sets up something with him and Flair again down the line. Yeah. As the we're we're, we're at the end here of our uh, our Halloween havoc watch along as we see the crowd. It kills me to say filing this. Filing out of a here. A little part of me is gonna die inside when I say this, but match of the night was Luger. Uh, it was Luger. Luger and Pillman stole it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, absolutely. So while we are while, while we're watching this, the 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 crowd file out here. Um, next week we're going to cover uh, face painted wrestlers. We're going to talk about um, the some of the best and the worst uh, looking face painted wrestlers. Yeah. We continue our our Halloween theme, and then in two weeks, are we going to make it official? Halloween Havoc nineteen ninety one. Let's do it. Yeah. Thunder, uh, Chamber of Horrors, Lex Luger and Ron Simmons, two out of three. Uh, it's so bad, it's great. I yeah. can't wait. Okay. All right. Uh, okay, uh, Luger, again, I can't. Uh, I'm Luger might have myself. the best match of the night. I'm contradicting myself. Yeah. But, but like I said, maybe it's. Uh, Luger like, might like, have like the best I match of the I lose sleep at night thinking thinking of 1998, me playing Nintendo and Super Macho Man. So. We'll see if. Uh, We'll see if Ron Simmons can get the job done in two weeks. Uh, but, yeah, no, looking forward to that. Uh, Jim Ross, Bob Cottle, um, closing this out here um, on this uh, watch along. Thank you all so very much for uh, for, for joining us um, and, uh, you know, partaking in this watch along. I know we've gone a little bit. We're almost at the three-hour mark, uh, just, you know, about six minutes shy. Uh, but, uh, you know, I appreciate it. Dennis, Dennis chose Halloween Havoc 1989. And, you know, Dennis is a, a great friend of mine and a, a fine co-host when he, when he's on here. So I greatly appreciate his contributions. I want to be able to, 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 to make his, make his dreams come true here on kicking out it too. <laughs> it was a pleasure. <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah, next week, face-painted wrestlers, the good, the bad, the ugly. Who should have wore face paint? Who didn't need to wear face paint? Um, we'll talk about all that then some, and then in two weeks, WCW Halloween Havoc 1991 uh, watch-along. We're going to watch the Chamber of Horrors match with the time when Abdullah the Butcher was electrocuted in the electric chair. Uh, we're going to talk. We're going to watch the Lex Luger-Ron Simmons um uh, two out of three falls match for the World Heavyweight Championship, as well as um, the, the, the Halloween Phantom, which would end up being Rick Rude, and so much more um, right here on Kicking Out at Two. And uh, as the credits roll, as we're watching these credits roll, I think it's a, I think it's about that time that we officially put this show down for the three count. And we will see you all next week. <laughs>